We landed in Afghanistan, and Kara and I were put into the cell block at the Russian airbase. But I managed to use one of Q's clever devices, a key ring which released a cloud of stun gas to overpower the guards. Kara gave me a hug. Very pleasant. You are fantastic. We're free. Kara, we're in Afghanistan in the middle of a Russian airbase. Another episode of James Bond and Friends. Uh, this week, James Bond has popped off to San Francisco to enjoy the 30th anniversary of You Don't Kill. And what better way to celebrate that than the Twitter poll to vote for this subsequent film? So we're going to watch The Living Daylights this week. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for voting. Um, David's not with us this week. He's a bit tied up. So this week, we are joined by Bill, Ben, Calvin, and Lisa. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Hi, I'm Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spy Command. Hi there, I'm Ben Williams. I write for MI6HQ.com and MI6 Confidential Magazine. I'm Calvin Dyson. I run the Calvin, the Calvin Dyson YouTube channel, um, talking about all things Bond movies, books, games, you name it. And I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm an associate professor at the University of Oklahoma. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond. I'm the editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And I have decided to drink a spiked coffee that has Ooh. amaretto, um, almond milk, Baileys, and a little hint of vanilla extract. And it is delicious. Oh, my. So you didn't... You didn't go for my sex on the beach then, after all of that. <laughs> you sold it so well. <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought it was the epitome of this movie. Um, <laughs> is, this, is this the Vienna uh, reference then, Lisa, with your spiked coffee? Yeah, I, 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 was, I was just trying to look up, and some people sent me some uh, uh, websites about different drinks, and then I had to look in my cabinet and see what I had. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, looks like we're having spiked coffee. So Lisa, you've got to add this to your credentials when you start your intros, that you are the reigning champion at picking films that people want to watch. Yeah. Um, so you won again with this week's Pick the Living Dirt, which beat A View to a Kill and Goldfinger. <laughs> and uh, what was the other one? Spectre, the throwaway vote. <laughs> 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 Goldfinger came in last. <laughs> I'll remind you. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, came in third. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if it's become a thing now where people are just not going to vote for Goldfinger until we get to like the last film. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know how that's going. All right, we're going to mix it up for a little bit at the end of this, but you have to stay tuned for that. All right. So if everybody's got Leo open, mm-hmm. uh, just yeah. about. To Raw, Lisa, as you won, you get to do this again. You're going to be a pro by the end of the year at oh, doing yeah. this. You know. All right. So, Living Daylights on three, two, one, play. Oh, my. Method. Um, so we're, we're about to have the final gun barrel scored by John Barry, and since it doesn't have Connery in it, we get strings again. All right. Um, 
And in fact, it sounds basically like all the Roger Moore berry squirt gun barrels. But uh, yeah, and not the first gun barrel they picked because in the work print it had his little jump at the end, right? Which they took out. Huh. Little jump. And, and, all right. and also, also, I've just mentioned real quick. So in the earlier the draft, day. in the earlier draft of this. <laughs> North Korea. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. It's all right. Yeah, so in the, early, in the earlier draft of this, it begins with Bond going into the office, but you can't see his face. And he's getting ready to toss the hat on the hat rack. And there's two other hats on the hat rack. Oh, what's going on? And you know, Money Penny tells right. him there's a meeting in the office. And with the, with the two other people in London who wear hats. Right. <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And this uh, dialogue from M was like a voiceover of uh, scenes of Gibraltar. So instead, we got we got this. And, this is better. Uh, De- yeah. Desk in oh. the back of the plane is so ridiculous, right. isn't it? Yeah. So this right. is 002 and 004. And how much use did uh, Eon get out of this uh, C-130? Because here it's you know, an MI6 plane, and then later in the movie yeah. it'll be a- <laughs> Yeah, it'll be a Russian plane. Yeah. I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of this reveal because we already know who Bond is. Like, right, it's, it's on all the poster, the, for God's sake. Yeah, it's on the poster. So <laughs> this this kind of teased reveal about which one of them is it? And oh my God, it's Timothy Dalton is is a bit of a, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's well, I think we well, discussed I, it before, you know, the, well, the, the, the teased I, intro. I will disagree in that I do like it because... We know it's yes, we know it's him, but it's kind of like yeah, it's it's you know they're making us wait to see him. And yeah. one of these one of these guys looks like John Lithgow. I think this first one. That's right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Especially in close up. This would be the worst worst series of Double O movies. Look at that. That's it. And that's the right. end of. of, of <laughs> how did he get promoted? Yeah. <laughs> I, had a vacancy. You know what? I think there's something to be said about opening up a Bond film like this with a training mission. And I think that's something I appreciate about The Living Daylights. I get the reveal of who Bond is, but you can see the fact that like double O agents do need to be in training. There's more than just one of them and that somebody can come in and and you can die from these these types of training uh, incidences and that there's right. a real threat against Bond. So I like the way that it opens up um, in in this way, I think it's a highlight of of of, of an intro. Well, and and also, I guess it's supposed to be a training exercise for the troops on Gibraltar, and MI six yes. has been. Uh, um, yes, a, fr- a friend of mine. Help. A friend of mine's in the army, and he worked at a radar station in the UK. And he said every year the um, the SCS were doing a, a training ex- uh, exercise there, and they were huh. told that they were going to be coming um, on the day that and time they were coming, and then they. They didn't see them, and they woke up the next morning and found fake bombs everywhere. <laughs> like they were, that, they were that good. Wow. They had no idea they'd even been. <laughs> we, we, um, so I, believe, ju- I was about to say, I, I we just was- went past the reveal, and I, I like yeah. that moment. And with that the, was the last film. He, that's the last scene he shot. Was that oh. pickup of him turning to camera? Huh? Did they film it on location? Yes. No. Well, no, no. That, that 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 shot of him facing was no was done no, in the well, studio. I, it's, less. it's an insert shot, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. They did film on location in Gibraltar, but that right. turn that shot, shot is yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm oh, getting yeah. mangled up. But yes. I was just wondering if they filmed that shot, like that reveal, no. with, in, with the the rest of the Gibraltar stuff, and then later on changed it for some reason. 
Maybe, and but the very last shot was actually Cara Millivoy's hand tuning the radio insert huh. shots. For, well, and and here, um, you know, Bond is trying to catch up to the assassin. And I remember watching this the first time. I was impressed. Yeah, you know, I liked the Roger Moore films, but I was impressed by the amount of you know real stuff Dalton could do. Obviously, he's not there in this shot we're seeing, but he did enough to make uh, yeah. sell you on the reality. Mm. Um, I agree with you there. Uh, so yeah, the baddies, go on. The baddies, the baddies played by a guy called Carl Rick, who is an out of work actor at the time. And I love this story about this guy because. Um, they called him up to play this, the, you know, the Russian imposter guy. And he was at home looking after his baby because his wife was at work. And um, <laughs> he left the baby with a neighbor, left his wife a note, and, and got the next plane to Gibraltar. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Now, here's something else why I like this. They gradually build up the tension because you had that one soldier shoot at the uh, back of the truck and, it, you know, it ignited the uh, explosives or at least started a fire and so like you've got this fire and you've got this yeah. you know building up of this tension the ticking um, time and, so, the, and uh, i was about to say yeah. you have a mix of of shots of dalton really on top of the truck and then others where there was a rear screen projection but like i said there's enough of him really doing stuff that it was you know after the last few roger moore films is like Ooh, mm-hmm. i'm not used to seeing this <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. I think for a lot of audience members, they might not really, uh, you know, for people outside of the UK, might not have understood that Gibraltar was both a it had a yeah. military base on it, and it's also a tourist destination. So, um, right. I think it might have been confusing for some for some viewers as to why yeah. you have suddenly got um, you know tourists and normal people kind of kind of hmm. here. But um, well, and every so often, Spain rattles the saber about trying to take right. it back. And uh, it's too bad David's not here. He could have uh, given right. us more mm-hmm. details about that. Yeah, I, I do like the little shot of him kicking the window to create the updraft to get the parachute going. I mean, these things are all like mm-hmm. really well done. Oh, yeah. I, I, I do actually quite like this uh, sequence. Um, I, uh, reluctantly. <laughs> I mean, like, even, even though the land, even the land, the land rover is filled with, ex- yeah, well, yeah. explodium when it hits the water. But yeah. By the way, in that earlier draft for the reveal, the stage directions say strapping on pair. He turns into camera, into camera in all caps. We now see his face. James Bond at last! Exclamation point. Um, wow. So, yeah, it was, this was obviously... They wanted that to be dramatic from the pretty much from the get go. I mean, the very first storyline was an origin of Bond thing that yeah. Maybaum and Wilson worked up, but uh, Albert R. Broccoli vetoed that. So then the work began on this story instead. Tangential Bond characters never seen on screen. Margot, the um, lady she's talking to on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> In that earlier script, she, her name is Linda, and she is described as impressed, amused, and interested, unquote, after Bond lands. <laughs> but like his, 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 the way he flipped over goes with that. Like, I'm impressed that he was able to do that little, like, dismount and that flip. Yeah. Dalton doing it, and he kind of looked really suave. So, like, he I did. can see him like, hmm, who's this guy? And I, and I yeah. believe that that uh, clip is in the uh, James Bond 25th anniversary special, the little bit at the end where they gave a yes. preview of the movie. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So thing, can I just, 
Yeah, I was well, going to say, going back to your point about Gibraltar, Bill, I was watching the trailers for this last night and it cracked me up some of the, the TV spots because they were like from Afghanistan to Tangiers and the heights of Gibraltar. I'm like, <laughs> nobody outside of the UK is going to know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, just, a, just a very boring aside. For people who are interested in uh, Bond's wristwatches, this, uh, this is the first film where Bond has a um, tag Hoyer uh, on his wrist as opposed to a Rolex. It's a PVD night diver. We see it very briefly in that uh, Gibraltar scene. Um, but in subsequent uh, in the subsequent film, he goes back to a Rolex. But hmm. there you go. Just throw that in there. Sorry. I was just going to say real quick, just watching the credits, uh, this introduced a new stunt coordinator, Paul Weston, yeah. who I think was in the pre-titles. Uh, but uh, I love all these. I think there's something to be said, just to go back to the point about Gibraltar and the, the knowledge of audiences. I think that there is a difference between those who are, say, based in the UK, who might have a different understanding, say, of local geopolitics or global geopolitics mm-hmm. and the rest of the world. And so there are, we call it sort of like polysemia when we talk about like different audiences have different knowledge that they bring in. And so local audiences might get one type of reading of this film based on their knowledge. And then other audiences, if they're unfamiliar with the geopolitics, might read it in a completely different way. And I think audience knowledge matters. This could be educational because Bond films for many people tend to be like a starting point to understanding, you know, geopolitical endeavors. But it's interesting that different people might see this film and have different significance, or at least the the, the elements there have, have different significance on the way that they're understanding the film. Oh, totally. Like, this was the first time I'd seen a Bond film where I'd, like, been to the location because I'd been to Gibraltar a couple of times when we were younger, and I was like, oh, God, what's he doing there? Like, he doesn't want to go there. Those monkeys are... Fairly disruptive. <laughs> M- meanwhile, in terms of office <laughs> politics, in terms disruptive of office politics, monkeys. meaning Eon office politics, uh, Barbara Broccoli has been promoted to associate producer, a title mm. she shares with Tom Pevsner. But this was the first time she had an on-screen credit in the main title. She had been mm. she had been in the end title crawl of the two previous films. So her uh, growing uh, influence is reflected in the titles. So we went through the whole title sequence without mentioning the really uh, one of my my favorite songs of the series. Also, uh, Bender Bender went away from the nudes. They all are like wearing swimsuits or something and and one piece swimsuits at that. Um, 007 on the uh, uh, opera glasses there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I do. I have to say, I do really like this because this is – pretty much taken directly from Fleming. Um, although in the, in the short story, it's kind of not as, not as kind of drawn out as this. They are just in that little, um, Berlin apartment Apartment, in the, yeah. yeah, Um, but, but essentially this is, this is pure Fleming. So I, I do, apart from the bit where we obviously get into the suffocation via tits. Um, But, but but most but the majority of this is is sort of is proper Fleming stuff. So I do like this, and, for, and, for, and, and Dalton is good for this. You know, I was just going to say for the uninitiated in the short story, Bond has you know they um, someone's going to defect. Bond has to be at the Berlin Wall to basically they know 
there's going to be an assassin. Bond has to be on watch to take out the assassin. And it's going to happen on one of three nights. And of course, it's the third of the three nights. Um, um, the, it's interesting. The uh, His uh, day routine in Berlin is kind of, he thinks about going to a brothel, but decides against it. And I think at one point for, he's having breakfast and he pours some whiskey in his coffee. It's like, oh, getting an early start on the drinking today. <laughs> yeah, the mini bar was empty by day three. Yeah. <laughs> um, an, interesting, an interesting side note to that, Bill, is that um, Fleming makes one of his many kind of uh, personal references by, by um, Bond having talking about uh, a famous cellist called Amorellis Someone, who is yeah. obviously Amorellis Fleming. Uh, yeah. his uh, his sister so um it's quite a, it's quite a neat little kind of insertion of himself into the story which perhaps many people wouldn't initially pick up on but i've always liked that. and i think i'm gonna get corrected if i'm wrong was going to be used as a reference in one of the young bond series but then the family family asked them to take it out huh. that's probably and, true yeah and the sniper's rifle is made by Walther, so I guess they have a contract with MI6 to provide armaments. <laughs> <to some. laughs> Dal- Dalton's stealth tuxedo, which I really want one. That's mm. great, isn't it? Just I loved it. it. And, and, you yeah. know, and, and, and right here in this scene, um, Lens cap. He says, he's, uh, Dalton says something about they could make strawberry jam out of him. And that's, strawberry jam. Yeah. that's <laughs> when he sold me on. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I mean, I mean, the pre-tiles was exciting and all that, but, you know, there was, but this is kind of where he really, him as Bond really came alive to me, but I a have to admit. stealth tuxedo only works if you, if the other person next to you is also wearing a stealth tuxedo, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, though, in the Koenig household, uh, the opinion of Dalton was not uh, unanimous. My uh, wife did not like him because, as she described it, he had pig fingers, short stubby fingers. Nobody's perfect. Do pigs have fingers? I thought they had trotters. Well, well, not really, no. That's, 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 that's what makes it funny. Also, real quick, um, this movie has a bit of a fascination with men's rooms. This is not the first yeah. one yeah. we'll see in the film. It's like, I think oh, boy, we can show, you, we can yeah, show you. urinals now. Um, <laughs> It does seem like a bit of an attempt to sort of, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, the things like that, it's subtle choices, a bit like Hitchcock showing a toilet in Psycho. It's uh, it, it does sort of f- make you feel like it is more grounded and more real, the universe of this film, compared to the Roger Moore ones, which are all far more fantastical than I think what we get here. Right. Yeah. The interesting thing is with the, with the short story um, is that she is a, um, she's, she's a trained a, assassin. She's totally assassin, yeah. Yeah, and here uh, they make whereas, her. Yeah, whereas Kara kind of just a a stooge she's been, in this decoy. She's thing. she's yeah. been manipulated by Georgi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I think is unfortunate because you know if if you were to actually take that character from the short story, she would have been Tr- Trigger, wasn't it? Was it Trigger? Trigger, yeah. Um, and she had a reputation, you know, yeah. of being a, a very a very good assassin. And in a sense, it, it's almost a shame that you you get. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Kara is obviously a, an interesting character, and, and, and as you said, well, being they, manipulated. But they 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 throw a line in there later saying like some of the best Russian snipers are women or something, don't they? Yeah. But it's yeah. a really great way to develop the character. I I 
I buy into the love and the romance between the two of them. I think the music is great and 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 the way that Dalton looks at her and responds to her. I think all of that's great, but I really would have liked it if she was an assassin um, mm-hmm. who was then mask who was also say a trained cellist. I mean, how great would that be to have somebody who travels around for music and can also kill people? Why would you suspect that person? I just think it would have added just a different element or just some more depth to her character. Um, yeah. And then it might make sense their connection and her coming along on the missions and helping out. By the way, we're, uh, we, we've just seen the main automotive supplier of this film, Audi. Um, yes, the, there's an Aston Martin, but uh, in terms of uh, marketing support, it was Audi, which is part of the VW empire. Because, um, you know, Saunders drives an Audi and Bond, you know, and Bond's driving Saunders' car here and he drives an Audi later in um, mm-hmm. Tangiers. So, again, you know, it's one of the hazards of my former profession. I was thinking we can have, um, this could be a good double bill with The World Is Not Enough. We could have the pipeline double bill. Mm. Yeah, pipeline this duology. Me, this for me is where the film basically just takes a bit of a nosedive. Um, <laughs> Uh, literally, yeah, this, literally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Ben on this one, actually. Um, yeah, go ahead, Ben. I was just going to say, thus far, everything has been pretty good, apart from, like, say, the the, the um, office in the back of the the, the, the Hercules. Um, I, I've, everything is forgivable. Everything is actually quite cool, actually, fairly Fleming-esque. Um, but then we get into into this very kind of fantastical kind of uh, getting you across the border moment and the distraction technique utilized uh, mm-hmm. by this rather buxom lady here is um, it, 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 it feels fairly farcical. And I think it detracts from the kind of the tone of uh, Dalton's bond. In the uh, earlier script, the bond did not attend a concert. Instead, he, goes to a bookstore and he encounters someone named Hallis, described as an elderly bookwormy proprietor. And he apparently is really an MI6 agent. They have a um, exchange of lines, you know, the, the code phrases and bonds. Can you provide a check first edition of Karl, Marx, Karl Marx's Das Kapital? Hallis closes the bookstore and Etc. Et just FYI. Well, they do that in. Hmm. Um, that, that's interesting that they do that in uh, one of the Mission Impossible movies that he goes in and asks for a specific record yes. in, a, in yes. a record store. Yeah, well, so in fact, it, that's the, that's the pilot of. I mean, if you're talking about the original TV show, of course, that's, I that's, no. the, that's <laughs> the that's the very that's the very first Mission Impossible production. So, does anybody recognize Peter Porteous, who's about to get almost suffocated here? Is he from? Uh, was he one of the scientists in Moonraker that got killed when? No, close. <laughs> um, he was the jewel forger in Octopussy. Oh, of oh. course, I didn't even notice that. But he right. he also but he also looks like one of those guys in Drax's yes, lab. Uh, he does, but it's not him though. No. So can I ask? Can I ask you a question for the panel? So when I see hmm. scenes like this, and I think Charlie's Angels popularized it of like women utilizing their bodies and their sexualities, and it presents men as being like completely helpless, like that, you know, there's a woman with breasts. And so like, forget everything else that I'm trained to do. I succumb to the temptation. And like, I've always felt that that's really um, disparaging of men. I think that it presents men in a yeah, very it's, stereotypical it's, it's, one. It's pretty, 
It's pretty it's bad. Pretty, do you feel it's pretty accurate? Way? It's pretty. I'd it's, say it's pretty accurate, Lisa. <laughs> I was about to say it's a stereo, it's a stereotype based in fact, at least with yeah. some men. <laughs> you know, it's. I mean, I mean, there's a lot of men who could keep their heads about them, but there's others. God. Oh, here we go, Ben. Uh, yeah. You're going to have to give us the warning now. Oh, okay. Um, prior to recording, we were, we, were, we were discussing this. Um, yes, there is a moment here where um, our agent uh, gets an earful of Harrier jump jet, uh, which so this building here, the Harrier jump jet will will rise out of the the top of it. Actually, it's not the top of it; it's uh, from the side, which is a, a, a perspective shot. Um, but as Saunders is looking on. In disbelief, um, the Harrier appears to fly in one ear and out the other ear. Um, it's not for it's not for a couple of seconds, but you will see it, and hopefully, we will all chuckle mightily. <laughs> and, and, and Q's here for no reason at all. So. Yeah, <laughs> I do have to you, admit, you I really do like Barry's music here. I I, I think this is a top notch score. You know, if if you know, I think it went off with a really good effort. Hmm. I think it's one of my favorites, actually, of all the Bond films put together. And I, as much as, and and, and here's what's interesting. Like, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the aha version of their song, The Living Daylights, but I love the way that it is put into the Here we go. Um, Sorry to interrupt, Lisa. Here it is. It's going in that ear. And it's coming out the other. No wonder he was shocked. Yeah, his turn is perfectly timed. <laughs> oh, man, it gets me every time. Sorry, Lisa, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's okay. That was all I had to say. It's good music, good music score. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little repetitive, the score. Some people criticize it for, but I, I, I don't think in the film it is because I, is this the only Bond film that actually has three songs in it? Uh, th- well, actually, Licensed Kill had more, but it's... I mean, songs written for the film specifically used multiple times. Because we've uh, got, where's everybody gone? Could be. Obviously yeah. the title I mean, song. Yeah, because the Pretenders do too, and AHA does the title song. Yeah. yeah. And here's Bond smoking at MI6. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Cigarettes, notably. First yeah. time since what, Diamonds or Majesties? One of those. At least Majesties. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm not sure about diamonds. Now I think about it. Is the oft maligned Caroline Bliss. <laughs> but what gets overlooked are like the women and the and the girl who's on screen, and how like these are the different agents who can go in and utilize mm-hmm. you know the weaknesses of men in order to get you know whatever secrets or to or to be assassins. And I've always felt like that part. If you tied Kara into that, I would have like. Mm-hmm really been into this film it's just sort of a yeah. miss it moment yeah I, I i agree i think that would have been a nice nicer uh additional element to her character and i think it's a, a missed oh who the, wants uh, to talk about prince charles yeah, the, prince charles uh, is here. the joke about the ghetto blaster as q calls it it's not necessarily aged well no, no. <laughs> this, this 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 scene was longer, and if you've ever seen the work print of this film, you can see the bits that cut out of this, like the um, the the feather pen for the Russians that uh, radioed, and they could uh, replicate what they were writing somewhere else with a machine, and all these other kind of far fetched things yeah. they cut out. Hmm. 
not the and end the, of the um, world. <laughs> and and, and the, 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 the shot I wish they'd have kept in, which they took out, was when the guy, you know, the sofa revolves. The guy rolls out the back, stands up and walks off. Oh, nice. <laughs> and they took so, it out. We've, right, we've just ended that scene, but just real quick, um, <laughs> we talked about this before. So we have the same M, we have the same Q, but we have a new money penny for a new bond. Um, yeah. Shine your shoes, deliver your milk. I'm a proper cockney. <laughs> <laughs> Strangled with a with a Sony Walkman. <laughs> um, Andreas Wisenowski, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Oh, here we see the the oh, yeah. the director's. Oh, who is it? The, the director of Aston Martin's car. Yeah. Um, popping in. This, this this is my major problem with this film right here right now is we are going to have a Russian agent in a in a big action sequence and Bond is going to leave for it. He's not going right. to be there. Um, I really believe that if Bond had had a fight with Necros during this period and hadn't hadn't managed to to, to save uh, Georgi. Um, that would cry, kind of raise the stakes and also show well, it gives some agency, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and and what a formidable adversary Necros really is if he can beat Bond once. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you've got this huge action sequence which you just have Bond go. Oh, I'm just going to go and go somewhere <laughs> else for this for this bit. It just seems it seems a waste. I completely um, agree with you, Ben. It, it is they, they are just paralyzed because they don't. They're introducing a new Bond, and they do not want him to be seen losing something so early on in the film. Like Georgi has to get kidnapped for the rest of the film to go on, so Bond would have to effectively fail um, here. I think you could get around that by like you know maybe keep M there, the minister, and Bond has to choose sort of like where he's gonna go. You know, maybe yeah. he's put in yeah, an impossible yeah. situation. But um, yeah, they, they are just sort of paralyzed by a desire to um keep him a superman i guess i think that's a really good point calvin if you sort of said you've got to choose between protecting m or protecting uh Georgi, mm. you, you you know you, that would have been an interesting thing and, and at least then he could have you know he could he could get like kind of told off later on and ripped off a strip and mm. but at least at, at least being there so I, I stand by my judgment i think i made the right call or whatever it might be yeah <laughs> So anyway, coming up at the scene, he's going to uh, uh, finger General Pushkin. He's the one I def- reason I defect. But in the Great in the phrasing. earlier script, it was General Gogol, mm. and and, and mm. so it was interesting for a series that up to this point was not renowned for its continuity. Um, the idea mm. was that um, General Gogol was the guy being that they wanted to manipulate the British into taking out. But I also feel, I think the, the the downside of this scene, and I'm not sure if maybe it's the acting, but I think that Yorgi like overplays it. I mean, I know that Bond yes. sees through it, but it's like the difference between, say, Electra King um, seducing M in. Um, mm. I, I bought into her um, victimization mm. and the way that she presented herself. Here, it's so blatantly obvious because he's going so far overboard. Um, and I, I think that to me, that's something that detracts from from the scene and again i don't know if it's an acting thing an interpretation thing but if he just downplayed it just a little bit more i think then i could understand why you know everybody would be lulled in and then bond's like 
mm, but there's something off versus it being so obvious that we all know something's off. And then it makes M and, and, and all of these uh, sort of high placed individuals look foolish in comparison. Well, also yeah, Elector, remember, Elector King also fooled Bond. So going yeah. back to yeah. your earlier point, Lisa, about women yes. using their wiles to <laughs> to uh, mm-hmm. get uh, take um, make hey, uh, men the forget their it's oh, the return of the parent. Yeah, um, I, I think it's true too that you could have had the situation where there he goes off to not be in the film for an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's. It's true too. You could have had the audience guessing as to whether whether Gorgi was was actually um, you know a double or not, or you know what his intentions were. It would have been it would have good, created some nice tension to kind of actually ask yourself, oh, is he is he defecting? Yeah. What's going Diana on? Diana Rick's parrot's seen a lot of death. Yeah. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> this is I a really cool fight, is, but yeah, I think this just... is one of the best fights in the series. Actually, yeah. it's not got yeah. Bond in it. So, <laughs> Bond isn't I'm in, doing yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> It's like 006 and a half. Yeah. Death. This, I remember seeing this as a kid thinking, it's really brutal. Because, I mean, obviously that is not boiling water. Obviously that grill isn't on. It's all lighting and right, effects right. and stuff. But still. But it, to have your face pressed into a grill is like. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then, of course, you know, Spooks did it in series one, episode two with the deep fat fryer and really took it up a level. But, mm. yeah. This guy's pretty pretty solid. He's given Necros a pretty good run for his money. I mean, oh, this yeah. would be. Yeah, this he would be a really good fight for like if he was one of the double O's from earlier on in the in the training exercise, mm, you could kind right. of go like, maybe, oh okay. I was gonna say he should have been in double O in retirement, he's just doing like protection work. Yeah. <laughs> the butler at the safe but, house. But actually if Bond had turned up with one of the other double O's from that training mission, you would have established that there was another double O there. They and you could have kind of you you could have gone, Okay, he can leave because there's a you know, you could have neatly kind of circumnavigated that uh, that's right they could have brought john lithgow double o john lithgow <laughs> or you could have had or you could have had bond gets emma away as your suggestion and then the other double o fails to get right. yeah necros that's right that would have been a much a much better story and mm. in fact you could have uh necros kill double o john lithgow and uh, <laughs> so so add to the body count and exactly, raise the stakes yeah. raise the stakes throw the milk <laughs> um, I, I, I have to admit, I did not think of the phrase double O John Lithgow until just right. now. I'm thinking, um, you know, we, I always try and throw in a suggestion for factory entertainment, but a milk bottle. <laughs> Replica milk bottle. I'd love to know what Georgi and this stenographer were doing in that room, just the two of them after Bond right. and M and everyone well, else had I'll... left. Like, <laughs> I think the, the way that Andreas moves uh, as he's, as he's taking him to the uh, Costco to the uh, to the helicopter, is pretty pretty laughable. Uh, yeah. I, I, it's it's relatively comical, and I can't. It kind of detracts from the, the seriousness of this scene. His face always just kind of makes me crack up because it looks like a comedy sketch. Hmm. But, mm. but, but by the way, real quick, we see this uh, you know helicopter designed mm. to look like a Red Cross helicopter. So like when this was on. HBO here in the States the first time, which would have been about a year after um, the movie came out, there was a disclaimer at the beginning about yes. how, oh, the, Red the, Cross, the, yeah. it's like a Red, Red Cross, don't don't shoot at Red they, Cross. They were pissed off. The Red Cross were pissed off. Yeah. It's not just this sequence, it's also at the end with the aid packages that are actually heroin. They got pissed off about that too. 
Yeah. But, so, so on HBO, they had this disclaimer about the Red Cross. And I, again, I, the, I, I forget the phrasing. The Cross, it wouldn't be the Red Cross sending an air ambulance to that house anyway. So it makes no yeah. sense. But I guess they had to make it look like it was a medical thing, right? And not just a yeah. regular yeah. helicopter. Did, um, did the Red Cross not get involved with heroin smuggling then? Am I, is that not what Don't, happened? Um, well, not officially. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Red Cross. It's a joke. So, so Bond gets told off anyway, you know, it's like, right. well, you shouldn't have gone off for caviar, you know, if you'd have right. just been there. Mike Spence like, account, we didn't even get to eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, this scene, this scene was also cut down <clears throat> in the work print. There's a sequence here where M basically says to Bond, he's suffering from, is it acidy? How do you pronounce it? The Fleming term for oh, yeah. um Disdain for one's profession, and M mm. says like butchers and funeral directors, and I can send double oh eight kind of thing, but they cut it oh, out, yeah. and that was one of they the keep, things they that keep, got- they keep saying double oh eight, you know, follows yeah. orders and not uh, instincts or whatever it is, and it's just hmm. like, well, just just ask him to do it then. Why do you keep <laughs> asking? <laughs> it's also M sends says a termination warrant. A termination warrant has been issued. Where do you get a termination warrant? Did a judge sign off on this one? Yeah, that, that, that implies sort of a legal process. I suspect it's not really at probably work the here. home office. Uh, the, so the prime minister, but um, maybe 008 has employee of the month parking outside Whitehall. I, I always, I always think of 008 as just like this this portly guy who just doesn't have to exercise ever or do anything or go down to the gun range or, or, or try because basically it's like nah bond's got this one all he does all he does is he goes off on 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 some of the other kind of like exotic locations like you remember in thunderball where they go like oh we'll have to send all the uh, agents out to different places he probably 008 just probably goes to jamaica or you know <laughs> chills out there so this is the uh this is the winterizing of of this car which uh is is fairly hilarious that they they just kind of mocked up a, a fiberglass roof for for it which at which, this point aston martin was not owned by ford ford bought it in calendar year 1987 but most of this film was done in uh filmed in 1986 mm. so uh this was so by the time the movie came out i think ford owned it but uh, there, there was yeah. no connection when they actually made the film. So, I think it's around daylight. I think it's this film where the joke was that, well, it wasn't a joke. It was a conversation between somebody in the production company and Aston Martin. And they're like, how many do you need? And it was like, you know, three cars or whatever. Oh, that'll be 20,000 pounds each or something. And they're like, can we buy them at cost? You're like, yeah, that's 100,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in fact, in that earlier uh, draft I keep referencing, there was no Aston Martin. There was no tricked out Aston Martin at all. Nope. Uh, they Bond just simply either stole a police car or a KGB car or whatever. But, uh, and as a result, that whole sequence, well, I'll talk about it more when we get to it, but it was a lot more simple in that script. But uh, And can I raise a point that goes back to our discussion of the money penny? the shift to Caroline Bliss. I think it's very interesting that in the Bond franchise, Q is allowed to age out. He can, mm -hmm. you know, Desmond Llewellyn can, can play this role and we have, or we permit in our culture, men to be able to age and they are visibly aging in our media. Whereas women oftentimes are considered to be maybe too old. Um, well, and, and so had Robert Brown up to this point as well. 
I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted. Robert Brown had a, as well. And so, interestingly, Robert Brown was like maybe five years older than Roger Moore. He wasn't like, <laughs> you know, they they had worked together on what, the Ivanhoe TV show mm-hmm. yeah. In, yeah. in Britain. And so, so they retained Robert Brown as M as well. And so with... Mm-hmm. So the dynamic actually is probably more reflective of the novels, you know, by keeping Robert Brown and going with a younger Bond. But that didn't, you know, but still, like Lisa says, they didn't allow Money Penny to age out. So no, they, they were selective I, in that regard. Yeah, well, very much so. Yeah, um, I think it's I think it's typical that we 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 see sort of uh, women's roles kind of. It, but then again, you know, it's the same thing with sort of with with Bond as well. It's like you know there are certain characters that aren't really allowed to age, um, and although Roger got up to fifty six, um, you know the pressure is there for for him to f- remain forever young. I always find that you know that scene in um, the world is not enough when Bond is saying goodbye to Desmond to be kind of strange in mm-hmm. the. You know, they're both they were contemporaries, and suddenly he's retiring, but right. Bond's still going off on another mission. Um, you know, and it's supposed to be the same character, so that's always a bit sort of a bit bizarre. I do like this um, kind of Cold War stuff going on here, though. This is quite this is quite nice. This this feels um, this is sort of in, in in keeping with kind of the the, the darker tone of. Uh, or the less glamorous, I suppose, tone of um, what Dalton was trying to do with his Bond. So the KGB thug here, the shorter guy in the black jacket, um, was hired for three days' work and ended up doing two months. (laughs) (laughs) This guy here. Yeah. Yeah. Two months. (laughs) Would we see him at other points? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's in Tangiers and other places. Oh, okay. That's all right then. (laughs) Where did they film this stuff? Was this in Prague or something? Uh, It was in Vienna. It was in Vienna. Vienna, Vienna doubling for uh, Czechoslovakia. Huh. Yeah. They didn't have to do a lot of changes back Mm. then, but obviously it's diverged now. And Mm. now we finally see uh, General Pushkin in person. Mm. Welshman. It would have worked so much better if it had been Gogol. I know that it was like it was insurance reasons or something, wasn't it? That Walter Cattell yeah. couldn't come he back. Had, but, he had uh, health issues, I guess. But yeah. Uh, yeah, well, and that's the idea. There would have been a more of an emotional um, impact, you know, because for for the audience, having used to seeing Gogol, you mm. know, since The Spy Who Loved Me, it's like, oh, you yeah. know, this is a little different. And we've seen him sort of like for your eyes only, he was in more of an antagonistic role. And I like that about the character that he can be yeah. sort of molded into whatever sort of shape you need him to be. Um, but here with Pushkin, it's just, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's tough with a new face. And also the fact that Bond doesn't want to kill him. That's true. I think had it been mm. a familiar person that he's developed this relationship with, the two of them have had sort of give and take, but it's become increasingly more friendly and appreciative. You know, then mm. you get to the point where Bond's like, no, I don't want to kill this person. I, I trust him. And I think yeah. we would buy more into that emotion that he has and the resistance that he has rather than it being, you know, just somebody new to the stage. Can I just point agree. out that in no men's room, when somebody, when somebody walks in, does everybody make eye contact? <laughs> <laughs> I, I also think it's interesting that like you could you have lots of scenes in, in men's rooms in 
in, in films, um, Bond films, but also like, like Mission Impossible movies and True Lies and the like. But in all of those films, I can't think of anybody actually urinating. Um, right. We, we've, so far, we've had three people at, at on camera urinating, which I think is a little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> Always, always leave your address with the sniper rifle that you have. Consi- <laughs> right. Consider. Return if lost. It's an expensive. Yeah. It's an expensive case. She if found, <laughs> please come and if found, please come and arrest me at. <laughs> but it does have a suit. Su- I mean, a lot of what Bond is is about exoticism. But I think during this time in the eighties, when we had the Cold War, and there was a lot mm. of the. The, the, the geopolitics was slightly different. Um, this is actually quite in keeping with what what was topical, and people were interested in in this this kind of more Cold War uh, espionage style thriller, um, rather than the globe trotting exotic locations kind of stuff. What do you think about Bond's leather jacket here, Ben? Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not I'm not the biggest biggest fan of it. Um, I don't think it's entirely out of keeping, um, but probably is not he dressing what, to blend in? Oh, what? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the idea that he he can kind of fit into that Eastern Bloc kind of environment a little bit bit more easily. But it, I don't think it's a particularly good outfit. It's a very much a professional's. Um, Sweeney style outfit. That's right. But what about uh, her jacket? Like, I know we're talking about him. Like, he looks fine to me. I'm just like, I, 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 I get it. Maybe it's the style of the time, but I am not a fan of that green jacket or the way that it fits her, especially because she has such a petite frame, hmm. and it just seems to like it looks like it's filled with air and it balloons her out. And maybe that's like an '80s style that's happening or the end of the '80s, but I don't find it to be particularly. Um, aesthetically pleasing so I think he looks fine because at least it fits his body whereas hers I'm yeah. just like what is this I just yeah, want to point out that Cara, Cara keeps publicity 8x10s framed in her house <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're um, right so it's not the most flattering is it it's not it looks like it belonged to a, a much a larger much lady yeah. yes I mean, um, is a wardrobe even that, like, I, you know, I, I know that this has a reputation for being, you know, it's the 80s and safe sex is a big deal, obviously. And, you know, we mentioned in the pre in the title sequence how all the women are sort of, you know, clothed. They're not naked like they have been in previous ones. I guess there is a an attempt to sort of, you know, I mean, going back to Stacey Sutton, who was, you know, in the previous film running around in this tiny little short skirted, almost see-through white dress at the end. And here we have Cara in... Right. You know, not a terribly, you know, um, fantasy sexualized wardrobe. Um, it looks quite practical, actually. Um, I think her clothes here. Uh, well, in the making of featurette that accompanies the uh, home video release, Michael Wilson is quoted on well, the show saying this, that, yeah, there was like uh, AIDS was going on and Bond had to be more of a one woman man and all this, that and the other. Um, so yeah, there was, I, I think there was a definite effort to kind of tone things down, certainly in true of the titles. Or just maybe they if- also have to do it like a financial thing, right? Like she is somebody who's definitely talented in what she's doing, but maybe she just doesn't have the funds to have an extensive wardrobe beyond whatever concert mm. wardrobe that she has. And so maybe these are pieces that are handed down or pieces that are a little bit big that you grow into. It certainly mm. helps 
creating like a fake version of yourself when it's oversized. So maybe that's the, the thought process that goes into it, but it could have to, it might be socioeconomic as, as well. Mm, this I is a like great this. switch here. And I like this switch. Maybe, yeah. maybe that's why her coat was bigger than it needed to be because it had to yeah. go over the cello. Yeah. <laughs> over the cello. Um, I have to say one of Peter Lamont's finest sets um, is her apartment. Um, really, uh, th- th- uh, this is sarcasm, by the way, in case you haven't quite. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, I really like it right now. It's like, we've got to go. I've got to get my cello. No. And then we've got right. to go. Yeah. And then, of course, he gives in to us. And this like, is and- not, the, not the last time that Bond will be rolling his eyes at her in this film. Right. <laughs> the, thing, the thing is, that that's, that is an element of real life. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's like. Uh, All right. I sweetie, sweetie did, we, did we leave the oven on i don't remember uh let's go back and check because then later when they're <laughs> because then later he says i'm glad i insisted you bring that cello i was like that was a great laugh line and again it's kind of actually based in kind of reality where he's like he, he had been saying all along oh, leave the cello leave the cello right. yeah it does lisa it does point to their their kind of relationship to the dynamic developing and um it's it's interesting. She's often kind of maligned as being a fairly weak character, but um, it, it's interesting that Bond does kind of defer to her, um, uh, you know, quite a few times throughout the the film. Especially later when it's revealed to be a Stradivarius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no wonder she wanted to bring it along. Yeah, but I mean, she could have said that, right? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and this, 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 this was how- one of the, this was one of those like rewritten sequences when the Aston came into play, right? Yes, absolutely. And he also, was supposed, Bond was supposed to be in a police car at this point, right? And it, and also this is like essentially kind of reworking Goldfinger, which in turn was reworking Ben Hur with Masala's uh, mm. <laughs> horse uh, horse cart. I the, just uh, I have to say that some of the um, some of the lines in this, some of the yeah, quips, terrible. Are just appalling, like salt all right, corrosion. All right, all right, come on then, let's spitball it. <laughs> um, fucking Real laser time. beams. Oh, also, but also <laughs> in, in, in the in this uh, in the scene where he's like monitoring the police bands, that's a uh, that that it's uh, a holdover from the earlier draft where Bond's driving the police car. Right, and so, so yes, he, you know, he has a police car. He can listen to the other police car. So they just add that to the Aston's many abilities to uh, monitor. Yeah, but local this is the thing. Bands. So he's pretend he's trying to pretend that this is just a normal car. She can see the display panel, yeah. right? <laughs> no. and, and now yeah, the jig is up by this point. Yeah, yeah, at this point, and then he goes. Oh, I mean, uh, <laughs> what is it? The quip now. I just had a few o- optional extras. Installed or something, and it's just like, well, why don't you just say that to begin with? Because salt corrosion things. I love all these quips because for me, it's like a carryover. And I know that this is the reason why some some people like License to Kill more than this film because that one's a little bit more serious. But for me, this still has some of the flavor of a Roger Moore film, but also it's bringing in. And I think Timothy Dalton's trying to find his more serious tone. I kind of like these moments. Yeah, they just, just, to, they just happen to have a tank rolling by. But I think the point of it is, the problem with it is, one is Dalton didn't want to do those kind of lines, so he does them reluctantly, right? Yeah. And then the lines aren't very good. Yeah. So also, you get whacked so, twice by it, you know? So the Aston Martin from Goldfinger has a built-in GPS 
Um, she she right. gets a map to read. Um, we, talked about, we talked about this, Ben. Once a gadget's been useful and it's standard yeah. issue, they take it away. It's the yeah. IT mentality. Yeah. You don't need uh, it I anymore. Hate, you've used, you've used it once. Also, the thing is that, you know, once the jig is up, as Bill says, why go amazing this modern safety glass? It's just like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I've just got normal safety glass in the back of my car, but also rockets. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and you know, there are some things that definitely kind of belong. All right, kind let's of see how big the circle Morris. is. Let, let's yeah. see how big the circle is that he's <laughs> driving here. It's, it's a nice, big, wide circle. And then we cut to the back load at Pinewood. <laughs> oh, it's <dead. laughs> so, anyway, in the earlier draft where Bond just stole a police car, you know, it's just he steals the police car and they go straight to the frozen lake. So it's like a lot simpler sequence. But right. like once you have a tricked out Aston Martin, well, we got to show what it can do. And um, well, they have now, to he now, in. He the, now he puts the traction tires on. Yeah, right. Well, he has the traction tires on. In, well, he wasn't um, on frozen a frozen lake before. I, I guess. <laughs> I this does remind me of the snow. I love any sort of action sequence that has snow, skis. We're going to get a cello case. I mean, for well, me, this is why I picked this movie. Well, there was that. There's that recent that recent video with the Legos recreating this scene, which I thought was incredibly creative. I like how the car doesn't fully clear it, and it kind of bumps it on the way down. Was that on purpose, or was that an accident? I don't know. It's kind of nice, isn't it? It's lovely how they built it in with the yeah the pickup shot of them two reacting. It's nice. Well, that's it for the car. Yeah. Um, never to never to return in the series again. Oh, I was about to say, what, were, what was the conversation with Q like when uh, Bond had explained? I wonder if um, it's going to have self-destruct in No Time to Die. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, did they go back there and reconstruct it painful, painstakingly like they did with the Aston after Skyfall? So they mm. so they go back to the border and just take take little bits of <laughs> scenes. Now this was uh, them writing in the cello case was apparently John Glenn's idea, and he had to talk mm -hmm. uh, all concerned into doing it. And to, <laughs> to, and to demonstrate, they had a recording session at MGM, and uh, he got you know he got out a cello case and sat in it. And it's like, well, mm -hmm. I guess it is possible. And then, like, okay, and then John. to do it, they had to make a special one out of fiberglass because it wouldn't actually work. Right. <laughs> Right, and, and there were geez. like, uh, and there were like controls in the side. Uh, yeah. that Dalton's supposed to be working, but I don't think it necessarily worked that great. Oh, sorry. I, I think it's Kara who's operating it, isn't it? Like, is you it can see her, her hand yeah. like at one yeah. side. It's a little like, brake lever. Yeah. Yeah. And in the behind the scenes stuff, she talks about how it was a real pain because Dalton obviously weighed more than her, and then he's got yeah. the weight of the cello as well, so it was just a pain to right uh, get this thing going straight. And and in this and if, shot, she's uh, she's just a, a dummy uh, going under the thing. And, uh, like, and if immigration were only that easy. There you are, uh, dummy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly still in that shot for some Sorry. reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, here we are. And Bond and Madeline are about to enter. Oh, no, hang Bond on. Bond and Madeline? Spoiler. No time to yeah. die. Spoiler here. No, Malcolm Sorry, Forbes' just... house, um, the one-time owner of, well, whatever. It's like the uh, media <laughs> magnet. Um, 
I love that you went halfway into that. I was just like, ah, nah, whatever. I caught myself. It's like, wait, this is very awkward. I'm sorry. Um, but yes, Malcolm Forbes, as in Forbes magazine, this was his house and they got to use it. Now, I assume this is a set, but the exterior yes. of Forbes' yeah. house. No Hitler's coming up. Right. Oh, yes. Hitler and Genghis Khan and mm. others. Mm. Caesar, one of them. Um, <laughs> Oh, there he is. That's the, that's the Hitler drinking game. That's one. <laughs> Napoleon, Caesar, and Joe Don Baker. Joe Don Baker, there he is. So Joe Don Baker plays two different characters in the series. The guy we've just seen at the pipeline plays two different characters in the series. There's one more person in this film that plays two different characters in the series. Ooh. Does anybody know who he is? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, is it Derek Lyons? Walter Gotell. Oh. Well, two different characters in the series. Yeah, I'm saying yeah. Walter Gotell. He played the guy yeah. in From Russia with Love and he played Gold. Oh, okay. Oh, there's four then. Good point. There's four. <laughs> all right. So there's another one. Sorry, I've Voice done my part. Own. Voiced by your own retard there, James. <laughs> yeah, all right. So it's Nadim Sawalo who played um he plays the Tangier's chief of security. And he was also feckish in the spell of me. There's also um, the cash bill is four. It's four. Like, it makes well, well there's also um, Derek Lyons in this, who's oh, a non-speaking. Okay. Also, um, depending oh. how you define it, Robert Brown as Admiral Hargreaves and as M, or or are they the two different characters? That's mm. I've always a subject I've always thought they were the same. Yeah, I've I've always see, kind of gone with the. I don't, but but it's it's so nebulous. You could argue it either way. Hmm. Yeah, I think so. I like the idea that he got promoted. <laughs> just, yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, this reminds me of that. Like, so somebody, it's a question that often comes up, and people say, "Why don't they do the continuation novels as as movies?" And you know, you have to kind of explain to them the whole difference between the uh, um, Dan Jack and uh, IFP and all this kind of stuff. Um, but one of the things that uh, does tend to kind of come out are these little elements that have existed mm -hmm. in 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 the books and one of the mm -hmm. one of the books has uh, uh war games in it Gardens um, books yeah. Yeah, oh yeah one, i'm reading one, that uh, one at the moment yeah so i i always wondered whether this was um just kind of an element that had been shall we say influenced <laughs> um, <laughs> there's i think it was an article we did years ago there is an awful lot of coincidences where oh, yes a couple it's like, well, years well, later okay. It's in a film that was in a Gardner book. It's yeah. There's well, there's quite well, a lot of it. Exhibit A, Ascot. It's in the first Gardner book, and then mm. like, oh, a view to a kill. Let's go to Ascot. But again, right. you can't you can't copyright a location. You can't copyright no. this kind of stuff. But it's like they never thought of Ascot until Gardner did. Right. And a hot um, air balloon at the end, you know, an airship at the end, and there are lots of there are lots of kind of crossovers. Uh, even the Silver Beast itself um, is yeah. very much like the 750IL from uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. And then um, the one time they actually had to give credit, they boy they did their best to hide it. Yeah. Uh, with with Spectre when it's like the oh, yeah. long crawl at the end, it's like special uh, thanks to the uh, state of Kingsley Amos. So it's like you know doing their best to disguise the fact that yeah we cut we cut the estate of check uh <laughs> but don't don't bug us about it again well okay? that, that came back to years you know when harry saltzman was still involved in franchise he said that they'd never ever give them money to use any of the novelizations and he just made that rule and it kind of allegedly reportedly yeah. stuck around 
I what like is it with Bond and these tourist trap, like, horse and cart things? He does love them. Like, we saw it in Fiore Eyes Only. He does it in The Spy Who Loved Me. Really loves this. Like, any, anyone Cal- would just get a taxi. Oh. And it was Calvin, cut out my, over script Calvin, my, for another film. My, 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 my deepest regret is not being able to, to, to laugh at the revolving background in the Fiore Eyes Only carriage. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I'd been location. Oh yeah, where um, the carriage driver is trying to sell us on the uh, uh, romance, romance, mm. <laughs> romance between the two people with thirty this years. This happens difference. all the time. I know it happens in Bond films. Come on, you know. Yeah. Um, sorry, James. I kind of cut in, into you, but it was just because uh, I, I I so wanted to. When we were doing Fiora's Only, I so wanted to be on that podcast, literally, so I could say, "Look at the background revolving." <laughs> well, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a story to that about why they reshot it. We should oh, get into it another fingers. day. <laughs> Sorry. We are a bit actually. Yeah. I literally spat coke. That is. <laughs> 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 yeah, reasons why Timothy Dalton was not a more appreciated James Bond number six hundred and forty-two B is fingers, <laughs> big fingers. He's gone through big quite a resurgence, fingers. though. He's on this podcast, like his, you know, he's got a one hundred percent record for when a film of his is up, where yeah. people are voting it goes for on it. The first try, it wins yeah. the first try. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Goldfinger can't say that. God I knows. Have, I have nothing bad to. I have nothing bad to say about Dalton other than we didn't get enough of it. Yeah, yeah well, I agree his with hair, you. His, um, hair, his hair's pretty bad in, in at times, but mostly that's not his fault. That's not I, his I, fault. It's the hairdresser's fault. Yeah, and, have, and he's like, and he's very theatrical. You know, he's very very big. With everything yeah. he does. <laughs> okay, I'll say, I'll say this. I actually saw this movie twice on the first day of release because the first time uh, I took the day off, my wife had to work. And uh, so I went like across town because they had a better theater, bigger screen, better sound system. So I watch and and my wife asked, well, I want to see. I said, I'll take you tonight. I said, really? I said, yeah. So, So I saw it once like the first afternoon showing. And then the nearest theater to us was actually inside a shopping mall. You don't see that anymore. Mm-hmm. But what you mean, they, you mean, they, they you mean, you mean shopping this. malls or theaters within shopping malls? Both, actually. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, it, and this had to be the idea of the staff because this was not something the theater chain came up with. This was strictly that theater did. They came up with a display and, you know, they uh, – Obviously, um, they borrowed a couple of mannequins from the department stores nearby. One was, you know, the male mannequin they put in a tux and the uh, female mannequin they put in an evening dress. But they also had like two or three of these signet paperbacks from the 60s. So I'm guessing somebody on the staff happened to have them and they put them as part of the display. And I I was very impressed that someone went to that effort. Can I just so, say something This in, in regard to what Lisa was saying earlier about the performance of um, uh, Koskov. Uh, what's his name again? Sorry, just uh, for a bit. Gorgi Koskov. It's interesting because at this point, this is the first time that we know for sure that he's a bad guy. Right. right? Mm. Because because this is the cut to him at, this, at Whitaker's estate. If... 
if they cut this slightly differently, and as, as Lisa said earlier, as if he'd acted slightly differently, this could have been a really big reveal for us to go, right. oh God, yeah. he's he's actually a baddie. So mm. I think it's I think it's a failing of this film to kind of not to have done that, and it would have made us dislike him more because mm. we would have been like, oh, we were on his yeah. side, and he t- he went against us. You so know, Bonds. I, I you know, Bonds. A- yeah, you know, Bonds being a bit of a dick when he's six foot two and he sits in the front row. <laughs> sorry to cut you off Ben but also, I think you're right that, re- that, could, that could have been a great reveal of the twist of the character's intentions which they blew but yeah, yeah. Michael G. Wilson mm. not asleep I also think it's interesting that you have in both of the Dalton films he's paired with the woman who undergoes some sort of a in this case it's a very small makeover where they go and they look at the clothing and mm-hmm. she's doing and awing and then wears it and then that's the way that he's sort of like wooing her and bringing her in because her image starts to change a little bit as we progress and it's very much pronounced in License to Kill with yeah. um with Perry Lowell's character as Pam Bouvier going through like a pretty dramatic mm. uh uh, a makeover and i just always have to highlight when makeovers are brought in and and what that could possibly mean that they are being you know designed to be uh more aesthetically feminine to maybe be a more appropriate mate considered uh with all the bond parameters but it's something to always remember um I, it, and it usually happens uh with female characters that you're not good enough in your first way and then once you get the makeover done then all of a sudden you are attractive and viable as if you know your value lies in your image so i just have to always like point out that mm-hmm. it's interesting that they do a sort of a play on that in casino royale where vesper yeah. is the one who provides mm-hmm. him with the tuxedo and says actually you thought you had a tux but this is actually a better one this is yeah. this is what makes you more viable. This is what makes you more masculine. But, but but then he undoes that by telling her to wear a low dress to distract the competition. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he does. Also, he completely undoes it. In Casino Royale, James Bond is actually framed through the iconography of the Bond girl. And someone like um, uh, Vesper Lynn, she rejects being positioned as the object of the gaze. She does it begrudgingly. She doesn't have good timing. All of that stuff goes aside, whereas Bond's the one who goes through the makeover. He's being Mm -hmm. sized up from the outside, taking that step forward. And we gaze at him in a very sort of sexual and longingly uh, and longing way. So I think it's interesting that that's a film that sort of flips or plays on the typical traditional male gaze and at least offers, say, a female gaze or at least positions Bond as being someone who we also gaze at in a more obvious way. Yeah, I think we kind yeah, of get I it in this it. film a little bit with Necross. Like, we've just glossed over him, like, getting out of the pool, but um, that there, there is a very... Del- I, didn't gloss over, I didn't gloss over that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine if Mark were here. He'd, uh... Uh, <laughs> there is something to be said about, like, the, the old man who's very tanned, who's wearing a revealing bathing suit that we gaze at. He is the eye candy, and yet he's also the one who's not engaging sexually with anybody on screen. Yeah, Specifically on uh, our For Your Eyes Only uh, viewing, Mark commented about that lead thug guy when he was in a bathing suit in Kriegler. Yeah. Yes, thank you. And, uh, yeah. So yeah, it's a very but, similar dynamic here. That's true. In, that, yeah. in the scene you described. I'm just, I just want to point that out. I'm not making a you know, a, That's a great a, joke. I'm going, to switch, I'm going to switch the lights out so we can see better. Works every time. Um, yeah. <laughs> Oh, and so of course, I, I, this is where um, meant- uh, the third man was filmed, and uh, John yeah. Glenn was on that crew. So was Guy Hamilton. 
That's right. Uh, Glenn was not credited. Guy Hamilton was as as assistant director, but uh, FYI so I, trivia. I, 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 Melissa and I are planning a trip to, to Vienna uh, if if this thing ever kind if this COVID everything lifts. Um, and one of the things she said was like, "Well, what what's Vienna got? You know, why would, why would we go to Vienna?" And I said, "It's got a Ferris wheel." <laughs> <laughs> and um, she just looked at me like, "What? Why is that good?" <laughs> um, yeah, as you're a stone so, from Santa Monica. Yeah, <laughs> and I was just kind of like, "Well, it's it's iconic." plastic it was in the third man and I, oh, <laughs> I kind of gave up after that but so from now on it's like uh, the wheel the city with the wheel in it if you have um, to explain it oh and the fingers are in full display here <laughs> big fingers is the man <laughs> the with man the with the chubby touch. stumps I'll I'll leave that alone but it was like the first time I ever heard that phrase and and also about how women actually value appearance of hands and fingers like it's a a very very funny looking nose on that funny looking nose on that teddy bear I'll just leave it there by by the standards of hands then Saunders ought to be the leading man um, if if that's your main criteria (laughs) Necros does not blend into the background well at all. Um, mm. Just to your point uh, earlier about um, Necros, um, he has to have one of. I mean, but prior to to Daniel Craig uh, getting out of the water in Casino Royale, he has to have one of the better physiques of mm. uh, you know any any man in any of the Bond films. Yeah. Um, I remember the first time I saw it, which is going oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh yeah, that, that that's a that's a finding yourself moment for um, a lot of people who I'm friends with. Um, but but I find it interesting because because of that reason actually, Ben. Like it is kind of like startling because we don't see built men with their tops off very much in Bond films. So I don't know whether it is intended as a shot to titillate a section of the audience or whether it's to sort of say like, oh my god, look how built this guy is. Bond right. is really you know in gone trouble, out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like since Red Grant, right? That was the. But first it also one. shows him as being different because you know Bond villains and hench people, asexuality, so not having sexual interest, is actually oftentimes framed in a Bond film as being a bad thing. And so mm, while Yorgi yeah. is defined as his excess with kissing all the women around him, Necros right. is yeah. is being defined as swimming in a pool and having zero interest, zero interaction. And so both of them are being defined in some ways by sexual excess. And then you have Dalton's bond, at least in this film, having that sort of developing a monogamous relationship. And Oops. so I think that's something that's important. Mm. Better make that too. <laughs> That was a line that was cut out of the work print, wasn't it? Where he goes, I'll get a stretcher. Better make that too. There was an effect shot made of the rubber. Um, Fuck this balloon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let Bond get anywhere near a balloon. But I buy into the rage. I love the shot of him beside the glass with it being sort of fragmented and seeing Dalton's face and his anger. I mean, he's reacting in anger and walking around with a gun at a fair. You know, I I buy into the anger. I think we covered this on another podcast, but I like how here Bonds caught himself getting off mission. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, and it snaps back. And he's more annoyed at himself, I think, than... yeah. the situation itself. 
even though his buddy just got cut in half. Which mm. thankfully well, not they his didn't. Buddy. He just finally he was he was actually the guy uh, from Bond's perspective had been a prick, but then he was finally acting like a decent guy. So yeah, mm. yeah, you used to be obnoxious to me, but you're okay now. So right. Oh, now I'm now I'm crestfallen in grief. I don't but, know. I think it's it's a bit sort of playing to the back of the theater, watching you know mm. in the globe or something. It's just a bit too much for me. And it, it doesn't have to be a balloon. It's just so silly to him reacting that way to it. I just can't get I over it. This balloon. <laughs> <laughs> like the fact that no police were called when somebody pulled a gun on a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do like the shot that when you still see him and his mum running around in the background. There, there was no anything. sign that anyone had been called when a guy was cut in half. So it's like there's right. two there's two rather distressful events a short distance from each other. Mm. Oh, and oh, and Bond's in an Audi. All right, great. He does a very Pierce Brosnan hand movement there when he's trying yeah. to get the whiskers away. I, uh, I I hate these uh, these glasses that he puts on. This this just I mean when you've had a view to a kills kind of uh, X ray specs that uh, right. you know Roger Roger had these these just seem to be kind of very cumbersome and not remotely um, kind of covert. Uh, mm. But I, I but I will say this I do um, I do really like um, his suit in this I think it's um, it's you know considering that the eighties were a bit of a, a style vacuum um, some some would say I know. Uh, coming back he, back yeah that, that well I mean I just think he, he looks um, he looks quite nice in in this this outfit and. Um, not not dissimilar to to some of the. I mean, God, look at that. That's just better. ridiculous. It's like better one, better two, better one, better two. <laughs> oh, those two are like awful similar. Okay, how about three or four? <laughs> I'm the worst at doing it. I'm like, I don't know. You pick. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm like, who knows? So the. Uh, into the beige hotel. Yeah. Oh, no. oh, is that no the same guy way. we saw before? Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. He got he yeah. got two months' work out of this movie. He yeah. was only hired for three days, right? Because yeah. he's also a Pushkin's uh, flunky. Oh, well, you let let the girl get away, but we'll uh, promote you to being Pushkin's uh, <laughs> ser- manservant. Um, the young young lady, young woman um, in this scene um, was was in Mad Max. Virginia um, Hay. As, yeah. And she got a, famously painted got, blue for, uh, was it Farscape? Yeah. So um, that's right. Um, so I just thought I'd point that out to uh, mm. to fans of eight, 80s movies. Um, this is very Bond, isn't it? I mean, I hate this hotel room. This is this is another one of Peter Lamont's crowning achievements. Um, <laughs> but um, but Bond, is, Bond is really great in this. Um Dalton is really great in this. He really is Bond in this moment. And uh, I think it's one of the, for me, one of the saving uh, graces of this, um, of this, this film. Um, Lighting doesn't help either. No, and all the the peach cushions and the, oh God. Well, it just makes Bond blend into the wall, doesn't it? I mean, that's the We had a new uh, director of photography for this uh, film, Alec Mills, who had been promoted from being camera operator, I think. Mm -hmm. Well, Mills is a great cinematographer, um, and I think one of the things about this film is that it does kind of elevate it. It looks better than its successor, 
Um, right. You know, it looks. Yeah. It's it's a very at, at times very beautiful looking film, and I actually really appreciate Mills' cinematography in this. Um, but you, you you can photograph um, a room like this if everything is beige. Yeah, it's it, yeah. it's not much you can do about it. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Um, more extreme example was the 1960 presidential debate, the first one where Nixon wore a light suit that blended into the background, whereupon John F. Kennedy wore a dark suit that like made him stand out mm -hmm. from that background. And people who uh, watched the point, debate on TV said, yeah. uh, said um, Kennedy won, and people listened on the radio said Nixon won. So, to point, Lisa, yes, it does distract men. But I mean, like that, there are a couple scenes like this idea of just stripping a woman down without her consent and it's being utilized and accepted like this is a good tactic. To me, it's so troublesome seeing that like I'm reacting mm. like I'm not on team bond in this moment, like shoot him for doing that. Like that's my reaction to, to seeing him just manhandle and strip her down. That's a violation. And so, I mean, I think that there could have been a different way of framing this, um, but I'm, I'm not okay with it. No, it's not brilliant, but it did save his life, I suppose. So, uh, I, I, you know, but I, I'm, I don't think it's, it's not a particularly defensible action. Well, he um, could have just shot the guy when he came in. Well, that's true. Yeah. Um, but he's not there to shoot them though, is he? That's the point. Scenes. Like mm. it wasn't like, Somebody just sat there and they're like, you know, this is the only way that this could happen. Hmm. Just get a little bit hmm. more creative. And I get, again, 1989 or, or 19, 1987, I don't know where I was, 1987, like I get the time period and stuff, but like I'm hoping that moving forward when we make Bond films, we don't revert back to this to this mode of representation because it's not necessary. A hundred percent, Lisa, a hundred percent. So I don't, right, so I don't understand why it's made to be like an illicit activity that he's sneaking into that hotel room to see his mistress or something. And yet there she is seated next to him in the banquet yeah. the next day. It's like, um, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And, and, and it's also, can I just, I mean, this is kind of ties into what uh, Lisa was saying before about like Bond has just stripped her down, but they also didn't let her know that this wasn't going to be a real assassination. Right. She, she goes through, the yeah. trauma of, of of watching her partner be shot in front of her, and then they're well, all like, "Oh, I'm fine." Section Jason whatever Bourne. need to know, pal. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, that's, but it's hmm. yeah, but it's but it's not it's not good, is it really? Yeah, um, there's feckish. Just on the screen there. Boom! Pyramids. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and here we have one of, I guess, the best decisions of this era. Not to include the magic carpet ride. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, John, right, we'll give you the cello, but you're not getting the carpet. Mm. I, um, I'm not a fan of Dalton running over the, the roofs, actually. I think some of his uh, uh, yeah physicality borders on sort of silent comedian um, style stuff. It's very, yeah, clunky. My, his outfit's very much like um, Craig's in Tangiers as well. Um, yeah. in, oh, it's not a um, coincidence, is it? No, it's not a coincidence. It's very, it's very kind the of The fact clearly, that they're uh, going to nick his car from this film for no time, isn't a coincidence either. Yeah. 
Mm. So that's that's quite interesting, and also kind of like how the Bourne films wanted like did a lot of that kind of uh, crossing the rooftop. Um, All right here we go with one of the problems I have with Felix Light and the CIA: these bullshit. Um, misdirection unnecessary mm. like he could shoot them you know mm. or he could jump out the car or yeah. something bad could happen it's like but we're gonna unnecessarily spook you into thinking you yeah know, this is i mean at least he kind of just goes yeah i'm not i'm not into doing this see you later guys but um but yeah anything could have happened he could have he could have done something a lot worse mm. It's interesting that um, he, you know, Bond. Bond is generally infallible, but he can easily get picked up by by two women and yeah, you know, except they're, they're if to. it's for a unnecessary fake out the audience bullshit reveal of Felix Leiter. God, I hate it. So this um, that that boat was um, shown to be off off the coast earlier. Yes, um, yes. listening in. So th- listening in so not not many people may have picked that up but right um that was that it was kind of uh kind of shown there that they were actually monitoring the world's best felix lighter ladies and gentlemen <laughs> <laughs> so good they recast him in the next film uh, uh, what's his name john terry or yeah john, john, terry. Yeah, john terry yeah i saw an interview uh, with him recently and he really liked working on this film oh it's i mean it's not it's not the, I mean, it's not the greatest performance, but um, I think it is. It's a, such a shoehorned scene, and it's such an unnecessary kind of way to just bring him in. Um, he's not really going to give him a lot to do. Um, yeah. So I it's not, he's got not, Jim Beam and fault. Jack Daniels in his alcohol cabinet. That yeah. seems <laughs> so cheap and, and cheaper. <laughs> I'm about to say one's made in Kentucky, one's made in Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, Jim Beam is 18 pounds a bottle uh, and Jack Daniels <laughs> is 22 yeah. <laughs> um, and he Johnny picked Walker, up the Jim jo- Beam jo- for Bond so we know yeah. how he rates his friendship with him yeah. and Johnny Johnny Walker was left back at base <laughs> the three kings so this bit it took me years to work out that this is Kara calling him oh yeah, that's I don't know this Ka- film well enough. Like, I, you just mentioned about Ka- the boat. I, yeah. So Kara later says, well, I spoke to him on the phone. I was like, that's yeah, how Kara uh, knew Whitaker. Ah. Uh, because she calls Whitaker. And then it well, turns out that Koskov's there. Uh, it's just a horrible, horrible uh, kind of tin spaghetti kind of uh, narrative, really. it It's so kind of convoluted i remember the first time i saw this in the theaters i kind of came out of it going what was that about uh, who was <laughs> who was who was the bad who was the main bad guy in this really um mm. there are there are a lot of kind of complex kind of threads to it um it's not that it's actually a complicated plot necessarily it's just told very badly well, in mm. my personal opinion this is if you want a lukewarm badly shaken martini yeah. Look at, robe. <laughs> Look at that silk robe. I love it. I would like to up my robe game. If anyone wants to get me a birthday gift, you can send me a robe. Careful. Did you get Lisa that from the hotel? I don't think she had enough uh, clothes in her bag <laughs> to put a robe. It's got a, uh, think- 
I don't think you should be allowed to have it, uh, Lisa, because it suggests that if you need a, a makeover, that you weren't necessarily good enough to begin with. That is true. That is true. <laughs> but when my dog needs to potty at 3 a.m. <laughs> you want to do it in style. <laughs> to go out with him. <laughs> Again, this is Bond in the last sort of 10 minutes. He's, he's been duped by three women. Um, yep. So you know, it just goes to show that if if you wanna if you wanna kill 007, you get a woman. To send do a it. woman. Mm. So yeah. I was about to say, so that should be that, that should be the title of your screenplay, Ben. Never send a man. So, so what were we saying earlier about how it's stereotypical that a woman can fool a man with sex? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking badly, it just got badly shaken martinis again. as well. Mm. That martini was terrible. he didn't have to rip it he could have just pulled it up like save the robe you probably would have healed a bit by now like this looks quite fresh so it's colder (laughs) (laughs) necros going into full cosplay here with his he, 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 he pulled the gun out from his jacket and still didn't have his finger on the trigger like what well they were too fat actually customize the ppk for his fingers <laughs> just take the, the finger guard the trigger guard off it entirely just like <laughs> So is this? Are we to believe that this is the the same um, Hercules it that is. they used earlier? They okay. It. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, I was I guess, say, you know. it's about it, it's it's not very subtle. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> Stick eighteen on the back of it. That's fine. Yeah. So does does Kara have a nurse's uniform kicking around, or is that something they get up to uh, after hours? I <laughs> think uh, I think the bad guys had one handy. Um, but they didn't know. Sh- uh, anyway, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's the best I can. She do. wasn't part of the plan. Is my point. Uh, well, and there was the plastic. Uh, oh big God, heart. I hate, I hate that. So, well, it's a big heart. So it's, it's a good um, idea. I mean, it would totally yeah. fool most folks. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, pig's pig's heart for pig fingers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, this was something I remember when when I was a kid and watching this. That like when it got to the the point where they were, you know, opening the the transplant box up, and uh, you know, we were getting into opium and right. weapons trading. I was just like, what What are we doing? There's diamonds mm. in there, or there's what's? I mean, it it just let's just have one thing and concentrate on one thing because not that like you know my 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 child mind wasn't capable of dealing with like multiple <laughs> multiple <laughs> threads of narrative but um it it does just seem a little bit too much mm-hmm. um there's a bit coming up where bond asks uh Costco, why not just kill me and i was like because uh, you wanted to go back to fleming material <laughs> so we're going to keep you hanging around yeah <laughs> yeah exactly um yeah, when we get when we get to the the point where Koskov is uh, blown up by a plane, but just rolls out, um, <laughs> we'll I'll kind of go on to that a little bit more. But yeah, it's it's interesting how kind of 
again, somebody goes to the bathroom. It's just yep. <laughs> <laughs> nobody can hold it in this movie. <laughs> But I know what you mean, but realistic, like constantly going to the bathroom. I'm surprised when people don't go to the bathroom in movies. Like, how long can you <laughs> hold it and then do action? Like, it it seems like it would be like a natural component. Although it's excessive in this film, but like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> Okay. It is excessive in this film. It's very true. It is excessive. Um, like one person going to the bathroom, I'm like, okay, I get it. Like everybody having a potty at the same time, <laughs> it's a bit much. I do know what um, you mean, Ben, about um, the the plot change. You know, just sort of changing. It is it is a bit of a trope of Bond films, especially this era. That you know, the first half is about the Fabergé egg, and then it turns right. out to be something else. Something always leads into something else. But here, it, it I don't know. There is just something especially jarring about it. I don't know if it's the very drastic change of location or what. But yeah, I always have a difficult time following this one, and it's one that I don't often come back to. So even watching it now, I'm kind of like, oh yeah, what What's what is going happening? On? Yeah. Yeah. We, you should you should be able to watch a film like this, um, and you know every, every film student should know should know that you you should basically be able to watch a film without the uh, out hearing anything that's going on, and the story should be told to you in pictures. You should understand the plot. Mm. Um, turn the volume off this and watch it uh, as we are doing anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you don't really you don't really understand what's happening, and and you're right, it is it is in conjunction with a. a a rapid change of, of location and uh, scenery. It's it's mm. similar to and motive. To, 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 and motive. And motive. I mean, yeah, and mm. I remember reading Octopus an interview with uh, I remember reading interview with Maybaum, where he was rather proud of the uh, plot, and he was uh, he felt they were ahead of real life because there was that whole business with the. Um, the Contras in the U.S. and yeah. exchanging but, this for that, and like, and like, they had this idea, and like, real life was like catching up to him, and they were, and he was feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, but we've spent an hour and twenty-five minutes of the film dealing with what to the villains is kind of like a side issue of like, got to get rid of the KGB guy. Hmm. Yeah, it's like that's oh, not God. central to their plot at all. It's kind of an inconvenience that they have to do it, and we've spent two thirds of the three quarters of the film on that and then the Focusing main shoehorned in at the end yeah it does feel very shoehorned in and 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 also there isn't a, a great sense of resolution to that aspect of of the plot either and, um, and also apparently the soviets aren't really good about communicating with the troops it's like you would think that if like one of your highest military officers had uh, defected to the west supposedly Mm-hmm. They might, you know, it's like even if you're like a remote Afghanistan-based commander, you'd think they might tell it. Like they might. <laughs> tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it would be it would be like okay, let's say in On the, the U.S. It, yeah. in the well, in the U.S. If the uh, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff had defected to somebody, you think that like news of that would get around to all the major commanders around yeah. the world? But oh, I've in, forgotten about this guy. He's uh, he's always Art. um, <laughs> he's a great actor. Art, Art Malik. Have, Art Malik, yeah. But he also have in the Hall of Fame of least Russian Russians. Yeah. <laughs> this this guy drinking Newcastle ale in the background. <laughs> That's right. That's, like, he's a, <laughs> it just it is just a very kind of um, non-Russian Russian. You're right. Um, I did not tell yeah, you he, to get up. I'll tell you to go down. 
Couldn't, um, c- c- he couldn't understand him because of his Russian accent. In you go. In Valskos. In How often does this one gadget basically save them throughout the whole film? It's like never before has Bond had one thing that just basically gets him out of everything. Mm. Um, Mm. Except dumb luck. Yeah. Yeah. I quite oh. like that actually that it does sort of it, it's a multi-use gadget um, I, I quite like that about it he gets more use out of it than he did the Aston Martin and for a lot less price mm-hmm. the British taxpayer got a lot more value out of this mm-hmm. uh, yeah I, I, love the, I love the fact that we're uh, we're Getting into some pretty bad racial stereotypes, but also, um, also just the kind of the geopolitics of the time as well were very much, you know, like these were good well, guys. These were speaking of which. So Art Malik's character here, Cameron Shah, at the end of the movie in the work print was introduced as the new foreign minister of, of Afghanistan, oh, <laughs> and they, oh they cut it. They cut it to the final release. I'm like, hmm, I wonder why he did. He was uh, he was also the uh, main villain in True Lies, wasn't he? Yes, well, he was indeed. Yeah. There's an in, there was an interview with him, I think, on the 50th anniversary. You know, when he was doing a promo for some other movie or something. Of course, Bond was all over the news at the time because it was Skyfall time, and he was introduced as the villain from The Living Daylights <laughs> because he just he's been stereotyped as a bad guy, right? And um, yeah. he had to correct them. It's like, no, I played James Bond's friend, but you were the yeah. Mujahideen, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's how it was back then. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can we talk, um, by the way, about how strong Kara was when she single handedly moved a body on her own and it looked like it was like no effort to drag that body into the cell? Right. I, like, it's, it's, there's sort of these moments where it sort of takes me a little bit out of the film where either she's just yeah. super, super strong or it's obviously a dummy and she's not, it's, it has no weight to it. Yeah, Just compare that fight to compare that fight to Rogers Bond in the factory in Avito Kill. Mm. You know, yeah, Kara would have kicked their all all their asses. <laughs> we should Talking speak about we should speak we should speak about one of your favorite cast members, Ben Miriam Darbo, uh, at this point, and say, um, um, she, she was the only. I, I was trying to think. I think she's the only Bond girl cast before Bond. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Right, because she was cast originally to uh, be opposite Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. And um, she did the screen test for the replacements. Yeah. She's, um, you know, she's she's done a lot of uh, good stuff for, for the mm-hmm. Bond franchise and, and continues to be a uh, very vocal kind of spokesperson for it um, and has, uh, you know, has, uh, has done a lot of good stuff. Uh, we didn't personally get along too well, but um, I, I think um, she's, a, she's a good advocate for the series. I, I don't the, think the you could just leave it there, Ben. I think we need some details. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was about to say, yes, that's rather uh, – that's a bit of a tease. I'm, I'm not familiar with this story. I can tell. Well, um, it's, I mean, well, I'm, sure, I'm sure that I, I probably have uh, not f- figured on her, her radar – 
at all. I'm pretty sure she wouldn't even remember who I was. Uh, so it's not a, not a, a big thing, really. But um, oh, check, I, her, check her Facebook account. He might uh, be still ragging on you. So, <laughs> That's a joke. Uh, Never go ahead. So, so, uh, so, some time ago, I was um, putting putting a, a, a book together uh, about um, feminism and, and Bond, um, and I was interviewing. Um, various kind of uh, Bond girls in inverted commas um, about their experiences. And I had the opportunity to sit down uh, with Miss Darbo and uh, um, speak to her about it. And her response, you know, when I explained that I was going to do a Bond, a Bond feminism book, um, her response was like, I've already done that. Why would I need to talk to you about it? Hmm. So I kind of went, well, it was very nice meeting you. <laughs> <laughs> huh. And uh, so uh, subsequently, um, I kind of put that project uh, down. <laughs> hmm. But I, I, I don't think that's what she actually delivered, though, to be fair. No. Um, I, I, the thing was, like, when I was sitting down with her, you know, I'd asked for five minutes of her time just to kind of uh, discuss it. Um, she kind of killed it dead, like, the first thing that she said, um, and I why take I them? Why of, take the meeting? You know, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And then I kind of, and then I kind of said, um, I, I, I did kind of want to just say, like, well, I don't really think Bond Girls Forever is is really that. It's the kind of the academic kind of book that I want to do. You know, I really want to kind of delve into this kind of a bit more. Um, but um, I think it, I, I think it, my my fragile emotional state at the time was uh, was such that I kind of went. I probably shouldn't write this and whether, you know, whether, a, whether a, a male Bond fan should be writing a book about uh, feminism in the movies, uh, Bond films is, uh, is, is up for discussion as well. So, um, you know, I'll leave it, I'll leave it to the, uh, the experts and academics such as uh, Dr. Lisa uh, to, um, <laughs> to, to do that. I have no problem with, men writing about feminism in James Bond. I think it's really important to have a variety of different voices and perspectives, but I also think that it's important to be open to the fact that maybe your take, and I'm not talking about you, your take in a general sense is not the only take on say feminism Mm -hmm. or your idea of feminism in James Bond. You can write a book that's pro women um, and it might not necessarily be considered to be feminist or offering a critique. And so that's why I think like, the reason why I, I love the literature on Bond is the fact that, yeah, you do have academic perspectives, but there's also these other types of ideas and information and perspectives. And then taking it all together, I think that we can have like a really well-formed opinion about this. And so I don't think there's one be-all and end-all book. And that's coming from an academic perspective. About As someone who's written about the Bond girl for 15 to 20 years – my perspective is a perspective and I still look to others to hear what they have to say. And so I do encourage anybody who wants to tackle this subject to please do it. Just make sure it's well-researched and understand that you can't speak in place of someone else. So if you're a man writing about feminism, you can't speak in place about women. But I mean, as a white woman, I've written about Asian women in film and I'm not speaking on behalf of Asian women, but I'm critiquing the, the, the situation and, and their representations and performances. So there's ways of doing it in such a way that you can be very respectful on the subject and allow the voices of people who are actually 
um, say being oppressed or being disadvantaged, those voices to, you can just amplify their voices. That's more of your role. Well, also from a journalistic standpoint, because such a book would be at least part journalism, it's like, okay, does, from a, you know, are you uh, not allowed to even ask the question because you're a guy? I don't think so. Right. Again, you know, the work, the uh, quality of your research and writing should, you know, speak for itself. It shouldn't depend on your gender or, or whatever. It's like, you know, can you deliver the goods? I, I think, I think it goes to say something about the individual. If, if you've, if you're known to have done a piece of work about something and then somebody else asks you about it and your first reaction is to shut them down because you've already done it. <laughs> it's not it's not the most um proactive champion in the cause kind of response is it no yeah, and, it, and and also she's only one of many she's not mm-hmm. the you know she's not the be all end all of the subject it wasn't it wasn't um it wasn't my favorite um interview that i've i've, I've had with um it was the quickest to know. transcribe though it was <laughs> yeah um, that's true no comment um, but it, but it is, but it is kind of interesting. You know, I did, I did interview quite a few uh, of, the, of the, as I say, Bond girls in inverted commas um, regarding uh, regarding their, how they felt about their their experiences on it. Um, so it was, you know, it, it was interesting to sort of have a a very different sort of take uh, response to it. As I say, I have no, um, you know. It did. It did kind of cloud my 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 feelings about this film a little bit, and um, but that's you know perhaps I shouldn't take it uh, personally. Oh. At um, least she didn't call you the back end of a horse. She <laughs> did, um, and and I, as I say, she is a great advocate for uh, for the Bond films and good friends with with Barbara. So um, you know she's uh, she can't be all bad if she's uh, uh, she's doing that. Just real quick aside, Ben, um, from 2001 until 2008, I covered the Ford Motor Company for Bloomberg News. And some of the best stories I did, I had no cooperation or next to no cooperation for itself. So, again, I'm not commenting on your particular project. I'm just saying, um, you know, the work, the quality of the, of the journalism depends on itself. Real quick, that's the greatest shot in the film. This I, just, I, I completely agree, Bill. What great cinematography that, that mm. is there. Um, I remember they showed that shot on that 25th anniversary James Bond special, You know when it got to the preview of, mm. of this movie. And I was really impressed because I hadn't seen a shot of that quality in quite some time in the Bond series. That, that in definitely fact, caught my since, eye. Since, since Majesty's is, Helicopter Ride, have we seen a sunset like that? That's yeah. beautiful Please. too. Look at this. Look at this scene here. I mean, I, we're, we're looking at tanks in a desert. To make that look attractive is not easy, um, mm. especially when, as we were saying before, you know, when you've just got shades of brown and beige, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite difficult to kind of – um, make things look fantastic, but like the cinematography in, in particularly this section of the film is is really very good. Um, mm. I'm glad we've had yeah actually this discussion. I feel like I I've always sort of um, written this one off along with many of the other John Glenn films as just having quite a dull flat look. And I think I think that does apply to the sets. Um, but all mm-hmm. the stuff like on location in this film is actually really quite gorgeous. It's mm. really really lovely stuff and cinematic and it- looking. Yeah, it is, and it pops, doesn't it? This is a lovely still. Yeah. I mean, just all all of these kind of like you. This is framed really beautifully. Um, mm. 
it, as I say, it would be very easy to make this just very kind of brown, um, think, but it's well, rich. Yes, and, and also this is such a different location from so many locations in the series. Uh, mm. In the making of featurette on the mm, home video, delicious. they talk about, they called this thing a studio, but the studio was basically a sign. and uh but yeah i mean it's very striking and it was lit well and you know things stand Mm -hmm. out despite the brown background so yeah it's gonna be up his tits in a minute because he's just had some raw opium lick lick that raw opium he's just gonna be asleep (laughs) in the back of the c-130 yeah how much raw opium has bond consumed in his life he seems to be an expert yeah yeah he is yeah it tastes Um, like there's that there's that uh that there's a shot isn't there like there's a thing that i've seen uh of um more more saying raw opium when he licks it out of the the paper uh yeah. um rolls oh, and, and also like a, we talked earlier about the red cross logos yeah. on the opium there's thing more, yeah, of them, so yeah. more so reason where, for the red cross to get mad this is where zao's dad takes one for the team yeah <laughs> 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 yeah, look, we've got diamonds, we've got raw opium, we've got weapons, we've got um, you know a defecting general, we've got you know it's it's so kind of complicated, you know, like oh we've got a you know we're going to try and pin it on this guy, we're using Russian funds, uh, but we're going to pretend that like this um, smart spionum thing is kind of back. It there's so many kind of threads in this that kind of. Uh, only cause to confuse rather than mm-hmm. you know and, and i think it could just be a, a much tighter narrative um mm-hmm. but i do like the way that bond kind of gets himself into this truck and stays in there you know it's like a it's a nice bit of there's you know there's some nice sort of tension tense moments mm-hmm. um necros will also be asleep in the back of the sea <laughs> <laughs> that's right he's got to have a taste everybody's yeah, getting fight- a taste the fight on the cargo net doesn't actually happen. They're just both wasted. <laughs> it's a dream for both. Yeah. That's They're right. just both lying on the back, just flapping around. <laughs> and one of them accidentally falls out the plane. It rolls out. Just Thankfully, it's Necros. Otherwise, it's a short movie. <laughs> oh, more Red Cross logos. Uh, oh. Suicide vest. Yeah, uh, yeah. Here, have the suicide vest that I happen to have lying around. So, right. so, in, so in real life, somewhere along here, a, one of the horsemen got uh, thrown from his horse and was seriously injured. And yes, uh, one yeah. of uh, Barbara Broccoli's cousin uh, from the wing of the family happened to be there, and he had to do some emergency surgery with uh, Barbara yeah. Broccoli as his assistant. And uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's described in uh, yeah. uh, inside the living daylights, the, uh, right. the making it's of funny documentary. That is like a more interesting story than Cubby Broccoli making spaghetti, but it's never <laughs> covered. Yeah. Well, also um, his cousin is an interesting story, but, not one the family I think wants to talk about fully, but I'll everybody's going to that. Wikipedia right now, Bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well uh, also Google. Uh, no. Is in. See what you come up with. 
Well, let's um, Bill. Let's. Uh, there's there's quite a few uh, family connections that we probably all shouldn't talk about, and I'm glad we're not doing Diamonds of Forever in that case. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we'll get there one day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll and I'll drop all my massive mafia bombshells. But um, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm just uh, kind of nervous. I talked a little too much about the current Russian leadership last time. I'm right. worried now I might be having an assassin come out. Although, on the other hand, they might be proud. Oh, he's he said, what? Oh, we've reconstructed the Soviet Union? Well, good for him. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll get your own apartment with telephone. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the reason I say that is that um, one of the things that the heroes of the Soviet Union used to be given um, as part of um, a part of their reward for being it wasn't a hero a delicatessen in stainless steel, was it? It was not. <laughs> it, it was a a telephone in their apartment, um, their own personal telephone, uh, which um, which was not which tapped. <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't know. Um, yeah. Um, I was I was doing some research on what that actually, what a hero of the Soviet Union actually meant, um, and what the what the benefits were. Apparently, the benefits weren't as good as you might might suggest. Yeah, it wasn't. It a was the Soviet Union for crying yeah. out loud. It's not <laughs> like they were giving out like a lot of. They didn't. They didn't match your contributions to four hundred one k. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one one hero of the Soviet Union was the guy who put a, uh, a test plane down. Uh, crashed it crashed it outside of a he was going to hit a, a town and he crashed it outside of the town killing himself but sub- saving the town um, and he was posthumously given a telephone <laughs> <laughs> did his widow at least get to use it I think no, so I, yeah. I don't I really she... want to know but just uh, <laughs> it's a joke <laughs> I kind of want to um, know <laughs> <laughs> no, Bill's once again going into real life I'm sorry no, I apologize yeah it doesn't I don't think it extends to um, <laughs> but um, here we go this oops is, why didn't you have your right. thing you've got, you've got a disguise in place why did you not just keep that on after there? all that build up as well I think we spent 10 minutes watching him move around on a truck move some bags of opium yeah. around and then just for it to all be- just to be blown <laughs> just it's, and he made on the bomb he made it 10 minutes and 30 seconds which to me seems like really random like he had yeah. to get 30 seconds in I, well, I at least it wasn't like 10 minutes and 7 seconds Comrade, we, we stole we stole this plane from MI6 we are very proud of this <laughs> we, we repainted it Cameron Shaw doing uh, what what uh, Daniel Craig does in the beginning of Casino Royale. Oh, mm. um, this this is a um, this is an interesting sequence. I well, genuinely a men's room is getting demolished. Yeah. <laughs> 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 this film's obsession with men's rooms. It's hmm. crazy. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Tom Cruise is going to hang off the side of this right now as they take off. Um, <laughs> So I I believed right on 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 one of my few watchings of this film um, that when Koskov in his truck uh, gets yeah. blown up, I believe that they originally were hoping for that to be his actual demise, um, and I think that they did an insert of him, you know, 
A-team style kind of brushing it off so that I kind of feel like, and I could be completely wrong about this. I don't know, but I kind of feel like the test audiences at the end kind of went, what about that guy? And they kind of brought him back for that scene um, with Pushkin at the end and just to kind of go, oh, he's been fine this whole time. Um, Mm. I could be, I could be wrong about that, but it does seem sort of to be a quite a, traumatic explosion that he seems mm-hmm. to just c- quite easily survive um i don't know if people if anyone knows the answer to that i don't, I I don't say just about from an action um sequence perspective the fact that we just have all this action going on and bond is just trying to get a plane over a, mm-hmm. i'm sure it must be very hard to get a plane over like a a, a stopper thing like that but it's just uh, watching the hero just sort of slowly move a plane a bit. It's uh, uh, <laughs> while all this fabulous want, action is going I like, on. I want to foley it with boop, boop. <laughs> this plane is reversing. Yeah, and, and that's another point, Calvin. That this comes back to what you were saying earlier about like a big action sequence where he does nothing in it. Yeah, yeah. And even it's Kara crap. does more than he does for the beginning part of it, right? Like he's flying totally. the airplane and she's the one who's driving the car. She's taking steps. She gets pulled off a horse. I mean, she's yeah. doing a lot mm-hmm. of stuff compared mm-hmm. to him. And he's literally just slowly flying a plane away and all the actors mm-hmm. around him. You know, that mm-hmm. pops up on social media quite a lot. It's like lines from Bond films you've used in public and nobody understands what you're saying. And it's like, you hit the plane is one of mine. I like, I do like um, Bond's little kind of like, um, oh, for fuck's sake. Um, I, uh, yeah, I'm the, pretty the sure eye rolling. Yeah, he lit- <laughs> my I favorite think he bit of lit- <laughs> I think he literally says, for fuck's sake. Yeah, um, he mouths it. You can see it's, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty good. <laughs> and I, to me, that is, that is, that's my favorite bit of, anything that Dalton has done in, in Bond. Um, <laughs> I'm with you. I, I don't know why, but it just... So fuck. Um, <laughs> having said that, I mean, Kara has been pretty, um, you know, essential in, uh, in this whole sequence, as, um, as Lisa was saying. You know, she's, she's taken a very, very active role, but the, but the one second where she can't actually do something... Mm. I mean, and he's, and he's done nothing at all other than kind of taxi a plane around... Yeah. And then the one the one moment where he's like, just right. go go into the back of the plane, he he just goes, oh fuck, oh, God's sake, I can't handle this stupid woman. You know? <laughs> well, it is an odd he, moment for the character as well because she is just sort of riding along next to it, waving and smiling, and it's like, well, right. what, what do you think is going to happen here? Like, right. What? Um, and it's kind of like interesting. It's like it's, that horse is magical for her because when she's on that horse, she's proactive and, and empowered and doing all this cool stuff. The moment she comes off that horse, she go. It's like um, it's like she loses some some capability or something. Mm. Okay, so this 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 is the vehicle which I'm pretty sure um, that Koskov, you know, would 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 have died in. Um, yeah. Um, there you go. It's pretty flimsy. Um, See, his his general friend decided to steal the fuel tanker, to, to which was not a good choice. No. <laughs> was- literally just punched a guy off of like the windshield. So she does yeah. do stuff like off yeah. of the magical horse. But I think that when she's with Bond, and maybe this is sort of their their dynamic, 
and uh, there's a lot into this, this, this comment, but like, she seems to just be diminished in his presence. Like capabilities are on her own. She just sort of takes a back seat and bond is the one. to. And I think that that's, I mean, it's a dynamic. I just, I'm not, I'm not necessarily in favor oh, of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry, uh, Lisa. No, sorry, Lisa. I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's just that it's such a golden moment. <laughs> I completely agree with with what you were saying, actually, Lisa. And it's never occurred to me before that she is diminished when he's around. And I think yeah. that, yeah, I, I, I don't think very highly of this character in the pantheon of, you know, Bond co-stars, but um, I think, yeah, and especially what we're going to see in a bit where she, you know, almost fires the plane into a into right. a cliff. It's Which, she just you know. suddenly becomes hapless when she's around him, yeah, and when we see her by herself, it's, she's it's really like, capable. In the last film, Stacy Sutton takes a, a raft of shit for like not seeing an airship coming up behind her. <laughs> Nobody mm-hmm. seems to mention Kara doesn't see a big cliff coming right at her. Yeah. <laughs> she's uh-huh. flying the plane. Mm. Did they but, take the passenger seats out of this plane? Bonds flying, by the way. Earlier on, there was a bathroom with Net Cross, and well, he survives but... that. He survives <laughs> that. <Right. laughs> no, he doesn't. The, like this is why I think that this is all post-product. Like come, come. Yeah, what do they call it? Like you know, uh, coverage uh, shots. It's like well, if we want, yeah, if we want to keep them alive, we'll do the A team. They got out and rubbed yeah. their heads. Mm. But that explosion was enormous. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I'll leave that now. <laughs> so same plane, three uses. Yeah, I've I've had some. I've I've got to say, I've, uh, uh, despite saying how uh, how much I dislike this movie, I'm enjoying this a lot more than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also um, a difference in watching it on your own and watching it with you know a group of people who we all have different ideas and opinions and even like different bond flavors but coming together mm-hmm. there's something about the collective watching and i think a lot of people who listen to our podcast they might not be sitting here with us but they're also engaging and enjoying our commentary and and it's I hope so. <laughs> if, if not then they should go and find something else to do yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say i think <laughs> This one has been slightly more negative than usual. I do wonder if there's well, people listening to this with their arms folded right now. I know, I'm going to get two, another two-star review because they're too cynical. Two men in beige fighting. <laughs> I still like it, so... Is that the sequel oh, yeah. to In Imbru- Bruges in beige? <laughs> in beige, yeah. I do, look, look, this is a particularly good stunt. And, oh, it's fantastic! Uh, yeah, you know, let's let's. Well, and 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 specifically, um, uh, one of them talked about how how dangerous it was, and he finally had to let go, and you know, because yeah, had a because the on. wind would have whipped them up and cracked their heads on yeah. the fuselage yeah. of the plane. The thing that I like that they did with this uh, sequence in the studio, which you'll cut to in a minute, is instead of doing back projection or instead of doing like the uh, conveyor belt rolling painting, they actually had a model of the mountaintops yeah. underneath them and it sells it so much better. Yeah. Mm. Do you think so, James? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've always looked at it and gone, oh, that looks like a model. Um, <laughs> it's better. I mean, yeah, the show it, yeah, where he punches yeah. through the ropes. You know. Yeah. Um, won't kill me, there are rules for policemen. Oh, no, it's another movie, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, he just looks like he's, like that. that's the model shot there and it just looks like he's standing against a paper mache. Well, 
maybe that's me. I'm not getting I'm not getting a great sense of of, of depth from those. Uh, you know, that really does look like it's two feet away. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's, it's something with how your eye processes things, isn't it? There's something more because even though I know that this is men, like you know, probably two foot off the ground or something, I I'm okay with it more than I am like a screen or rear projection or whatever. It's like yeah. it's practical. We have well, probably just there is probably somebody out there we've just spoiled it for who thought they were on it. Well, specifically, <laughs> the guy who played Necro said. In the, again, in that making of featurette, about you know, after a morning of like doing this scene, you know, with a big wind fan, you know, it's like, oh, I'm. He quoted Dalton as saying, "I'm knackered already." Um, right. mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not very easy to film, even though, yes, it's not. Well, not, Dalton him. doesn't have have uh, Andreas's physique, so you know, mm. Andreas Andreas could do this uh, in an afternoon, no problem. I do like this though, this whole kind of cutting the no, no for me mm. for the boot for the boot, James. <laughs> um, no, for me, um, <laughs> and it, it is it is mm. a fairly good uh, for the milkman. <laughs> yeah, and and the fact that he's still holding the boot on the way down is just is yeah. it's hilarious. It was um, legs flapping around there though, and that yeah. body isn't great. Well, the budget yeah. was getting tight, and he had to make sure to hold on to the boot so he could return it to the prop department. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's after, probably in some exhibit after, somewhere now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah they, don't, they the, don't waste anything these days. <laughs> after all the opium gets licked off it. <laughs> mm. I must. Say, I do quite like this moment where he's like, oh, thank God that's over. And then he's like, right. oh, wait, crap, the bomb. <laughs> he does stuff <laughs> around looking for that. It's a yeah. lovely moment. But um, here's the thing. If he can sit there and hear the bleep, 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 it's not the yeah. most stealthy bomb, is it? No. It's not supposed to be. It's you know, just... Stealth bomb, stealth bomb, yum, <laughs> stealth bomb. Um, He's happy he gave it an extra 30 seconds, Yeah, he got it from the uh, Dean. You know, it's like they didn't have access to the latest tech with quiet bombs. It's like, here, Mr. Bond, he, this is the best bomb we can give you. Yeah, you when didn't he see played, that clip until now? Yeah. All right. <laughs> hey, you pull up. <laughs> um yeah, the the thirty seconds extra is because he played this level once and he didn't give himself enough time and he blew up. <laughs> <laughs> when, he, when he when he went back to play the level again, he uh, he added the extra time. What's that? What's that? Uh, live die repeat. <laughs> but also i recently played i don't know which one of the uncharted games and they literally have the same thing where you're hanging out of the plane um it's a little bit more interactive where you have to shoot people inside the plane but as as we were talking about the scene i'm like i've seen this and i felt this and i feel that it gets adopted and pulled into other spine adventure I can't tell Ben whether you're being sarcastic now, whether you actually think that's a good model shot. Because I, I think it's think a good, I think it's a, a good model fantastic shot. Fantastic model shot. I think I it's th- one of the best model shots in any cinema. I, I, love, I agree. I love this for, I love this because foreground miniature. It, it Still can't tell he's being sarcastic. Well, okay. It doesn't matter whether he's being sarcastic. I'll say yes. It is a great model shot. And it's, it's this, this is like the uh, this is like the last thing they showed in the uh, preview yeah. in the 25th anniversary James Bond special. It's like a two foot bridge. deep ditch. Yeah. No- yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's literally two foot off the ground and they managed to make this look genuinely. I mean, it's, it's, ah, that's just so good. I, I, and- I, when I found out that this was a model, I was, I mean, obviously it's a model when I look at it now, but I remember like first finding out that that was a foreground miniature shot, just thinking, Jesus, that is 
that is genuinely very, very good because we've hmm. seen that we see the trucks going over it and we have that yeah. camera pulled back over the model and it and it really, really right. sells it. Um, so I think that, that you know, that, that sometimes there are foreground miniature shots that just kind of add so much budget to a film that it isn't necessarily, um, you know. Right, the cost would have been, yeah. Yeah, prohibitive, yeah. yeah. And he had a really um, great throw there. I mean, that was pretty accurate on a plane that you're yeah. not directing to be able to throw it at a person to kind of touch and then it explodes. Hmm. That was pretty. That was a good shot. A good drop shot. Hmm. So, so what Lisa was saying earlier about Uncharted as well. I think that there is a, a very kind of similar Uncharted vibe about because it's the same plane, right, Lisa? And it's kind mm-hmm. of like it's very similar, and, he's, yeah. and he's pretty much wearing the same outfit. I love I love the Uncharted series, but it, it, it just it, you're right. It's definitely kind of taken uh, from this. Uh, from this film for anyone who's played that uh that game you then spend another eight minutes just wandering around the desert in circles uh which is very frustrating um in the amount of upper body strength you need in that game because you're climbing all the time i'm like there's no way it's this is not even humanly possible that you still have like strength in your fingers because you've just climbed the side of a building yeah Mm. No, Dalton yeah. would have trouble if it's relying on fingers. <laughs> uh, I think I've opened a Pandora's box here with the. Uh, I'm never going to look at his hands the same way again. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, well, he hasn't. Oh, there he, we go. He, have, he couldn't open the Pandora's box. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> oh. This is a nice little stunt. Mm. And, you know model yeah lots like again this is one of the nice things about the bomb films is because it'd be so easy to do all this cgi now and you'd you'd, uh-huh. you'd you would you'd see everything but it's the cutting together of all of these little elements like the model shots the actual um the actual vehicle kind of bumping down they're holding hands yeah. james your fingers yeah. are so short <laughs> <laughs> No, he's he's gripping a wheel there. That's not the length of it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm gonna get so many get, angry tweets about this. I know. We yeah, we get stop making fun of his fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so your your uh, your your oh, wife. Pigeon, oh, there we go. Yeah, that's the shot. That's the John Glenn shot. Um, he waited till almost the end, but we finally got it. And the, this I'm surprised sequence you didn't do it in Gibraltar, to be honest with you. Yeah, this sequence where well, they had the monkey for that, right? This sequence was um, oh day longer. for night. Yeah, this was yeah. this was a lot longer with um, Felix guiding him in to the complex, but they cut it. Mm. Well, oh, thank I God. <laughs> I won't specify the show. It's not the one James or uh, <laughs> James is going to think it is. It, this does remind me in terms of <laughs> the bizarre th- aspects of another 60s spy show, one that was actually spies in the wild, in the uh, West, the wild, wild West. So I don't know what oh, that is. Oh, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> named it. Um, <laughs> but in terms of just the bizarre elements, um, I actually like this. It, you know, the flashing lights, it's a little disorienting, especially then when uh, he goes in for the kill. Um, it's weird because they've never met during the film and mm-hmm. this yeah, is right. supposed to be our big sort of climactic battle. It's, it's And he's odd. done 
he's done really nothing. He's an arms dealer, but he hasn't done anything. Um, you know, we haven't seen him be sadistic or, mm, um, yeah. you know, like he's just he's all he's done is populate this room basically. For, yeah, right. Yeah, and, and, and angrily, that, angrily eat a lobster. And angrily, <laughs> love. so he's not. You know, we don't, as an audience, feel like you know there's there's any real kind of deserved death happening here. He's not Auric Goldfinger by any mm. stretch of the imagination. And when we've gone from all of these beautiful kind of exterior well, shots to to this very tight. Well, it was implied he's a little crazy with all those statues of all those guys who just happen to resemble right. himself. So yeah, it's a yeah, little it, bit. It, I mean, I, I don't totally disagree with you, but he's, he's, Bill, clearly, implied, he's, he's, he's not just your, your average guy on the street. You know, he's not it's just a your Bond film. I, I don't want implied villainy. I, mm. I, I you know, I, I kind of want. I want to see him deserve to fucking get right. And then yeah, I, have, I'm, I'm I have an sorry. issue. I have an issue with here with Bond using all seven of his rounds, failing to shoot the shield. Why not shoot him in the balls or the chest or, yeah. the arm or something Knee, else? Kneecaps. You know? Well, I think yeah. he did shoot him in the arm, and that's why uh, he has like a bit the of a body patch. armor. Yeah, the, the body, body armor. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess the implication is that his whole suit is body armor. It, yeah. Well, he him on the head when he walked in. Like he had the, you know, just go in, hit him with the back of the gun, arrest him, and mm-hmm. yeah. instead of conversation. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, it's exactly. You know, those I, those kind of confrontations. I mean, especially considering he doesn't need to hear what the scheme is. He doesn't right. need a reveal. There's nothing personal between them, really. Mm. So you don't need a confrontation between the two of them. Well, guy, just I don't know. The guy's shooting at him. That's personal enough. No, I know. Well, they've made it. Well, yeah. You know, he, to be fair, from his perspective, in. it's self-defense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and that is just such a a terrible ending to a a Bond villain. I mean, you know, sure we've had some, we've had some, and we've Bond had would some have been inflatable here as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's Compared true. with um, yeah, Koskov, who is more, you know, Bond has more of a reason to be have beef with him, um, and yet he survives. It's one of the few times a Bond villain lives well, uh, to the end of the film. He survived well, to the end of the film. I don't think he's going to survive that much longer. It's like, yeah. meanwhile, meanwhile, the Tangiers police seem to have taken the night off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they don't seem to be aware of any of this. But yeah, I, I suppose it's similar to, to Ben's point just now about like, yeah, he's going to be taken off. He's probably going to be killed somewhere else, but that's not satisfying well, cinematic justice. That's <laughs> the yeah. gag about the diplomatic bag not, being the body bag. It's, but, yeah. it's not, and it's not perpetrated by Bond either. You know, you don't get, you know, at least with like when you had uh, Alec Trevelyan's death, you know, for me, you know, you knew that that was a personal thing. You knew, you know, there was a real moment there. But with this, it's just like, oh, off he goes. Also, all and, those flunkies are the uh, KGB going to kill them too? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Them That's that, <laughs> that would like up the body count quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, we're coming up to the end, and I'll uh, read a bit from the previous script. So the it's stage John Barry, folks. Yes, goodbye, John. You you did the franchise well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when we get to the end, these are the stage directions. When Bond meets Kara, they, uh, again, the previous script, his shirt already unbuttoned awaits her. She, she gives startled gasp. Bond, you didn't think I would miss this performance, did you? 
She laughs delightedly, takes off his shirt. <laughs> I, I, I want, Bill, I want you to do a dramatic reading of some of those books, paperbacks you see in Walmart and those kind of places yeah. where it's got like a shirtless <laughs> guy on the front. Yeah, I was just, you know what? I was James. I was just thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Yeah, please, please do a Barbara Cartland novel for us, Bill. Uh, that, that would be marvelous. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, <laughs> I'll uh, I'll check my schedule. I think <laughs> oh, I General think... Gogol, his yeah. cameo. So Ultra weird Gogol. that they include him at all. Like, <laughs> no, if you're not going to do it, do it. Yeah, it was yeah. probably like out of loyalty. It's like, okay, oh, Walter, yeah. you're yeah, we'll give you a, a day's well, work. Apparently, oh. according to the according to some folks, they're basically holding him up for that sequence. Mm. Oh, that's sad. Well, I'm glad that he had a he had, you know, he was in it. Um, uh, I do like I mean, the, he, the uh, trouble at the airport line. That's brilliant. I I think that um, you, you know, as Bill was saying earlier, you know, he's been part of the franchise since from Russia with Love. Um, mm. So it's um, you know, it's a it's a nice thing to have had him in it for for so long. Mm. Uh, but James didn't come. Oh. Um, so suddenly world she's world famous someone we didn't know yeah. existed until now yeah uh. yeah exactly <laughs> suddenly she's suddenly world famous um, uh. I'd love if she whistled and, he, and it blew up <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, we've, we've changed the codes oh, it is, uh, oh and his shirt is not unbuttoned like the uh, previous script so yeah in, in the work you, print the, in the work print, the O James was, um, let's just say, a little over the top. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just when he was caressing her face with his fingers, then oh, you've ruined <laughs> Timothy Dalton for me. I'm like. sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, like my wife ruined sandwich, Timothy then. Dalton for me the second she said pig fingers. Like, what are you talking about? His finger. Oh. Well, I'm having, I'm having sausages for dinner, and you've ruined that for me now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know what I was thinking? Oh, did you know lavatory attendant gets called out? Oh, and uh, Leslie <laughs> Butler did all that good fighting. His name's Bill West, and I assume he's like the brother of. Uh, yeah, Archibald maybe. Yeah, Thanks so for one thing, the, one thing I was thinking of as we were just sort of going through the ending of the film, and maybe a way. I was thinking, like, does Brad Whitaker actually have to be part of this film? Because if we were to remove no. him and make Yorgi be, like, the main villain, right, who's, like, playing mm-hmm. one side, but it's really – then his death, instead of him jumping out of, like, the the, the truck at the end, his explosion by, by car, I think all of that might make it be a little bit more of, like, a tighter feel for this film. But mm-hmm. I – and I agree with you that the whole Brad Whitaker – elements just don't really work fully with this film because there is no personal connection with with mm. Bond whatsoever and so even his death is is completely like impersonal it's done by gadget there's there's no bond other than bond hanging that little thing there is no bond-esque moment that's going to lead to his mm. death and so mm. I feel like if we were to literally to just like remove that character I do feel as though maybe the living daylights would be a little bit more tight in terms of its mm-hmm. narrative, and these elements might seem to work a bit better. Anyways, that was what well, I was thinking during the ending sequence. Well, you already could have had an off-screen uh, f- financier, you know, some, you know, someone we didn't even need yeah. to 
Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A shadowy um, organization, which they could have used yeah. in a future movie. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, I, I just, yeah, I just feel like um, there was a lot of things that could have, as Lisa says, could have been tightened up on this, characters that didn't need to be in there. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps a, a less convoluted film uh, and would have, would have made it more, as I said, I enjoyed watching it this time, um, surprisingly. But the things that kind of do make it less enjoyable sort of still still remain, which are just the, the kind of the confusing plot and the unnecessary characters. Um, mm. But I think, you know, between the, the uh, this group here, we could sit down and rewrite it and... Uh... It, wouldn't take, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't actually take that many significant changes. No, mm. I like it. And um, no. you know, like but, like um, I forget whose quote it is. The famous quote, like the um, perfection is when there's nothing else left to remove. Mm. This, along with Spectre and some of the other films in the franchises, could have done with a a little bit of a cropping. Some of the some, flat, aspects. some of the some of the pig fat taken off. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, if, if we're doing wrap-ups, I, I think I should probably follow Ben because I think we're very similar, actually, with our um, reception to this film. It's certainly one that I, I've i never really understood the appeal, and it's often, you know, for the people who like, you know, Fior Eyes Only from Russia With Love, Casino Royale, those kind of more gritty, uh, you know, Fleming-esque Bond adventures, it's often sort of ranks very highly with general fandom, I find, and it's one that I've never quite clicked with. Um, I think it has a lot of narrative problems. I think it's very convoluted. Uh, the lack of a main villain is quite distracting. I enjoyed this mm. watch through as I've enjoyed all of them. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that any official Bond film is unwatchable. Um, but it's one that I've never quite got the appeal of. And I've actually started to like License to Kill an awful lot more as mm -hmm. Timothy Dalton's duology. I think there's a bit more going on in that one, a bit more interesting stuff. Mm. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm. Well, again, just putting it in the context of the times, um, you'd come off a 12-year reign of Roger Moore. And again, I've said that I generally like the Roger Moore films. I know a lot of my American Bond friends don't. Yeah, but, I think uh, the better way to put that, Bill, is seven films rather than right. 12 years, right? Because yes. 12 years now, we're like, is that two movies? But, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. But seven Good. films is a lot of content, right? Yeah. A lot of mm -hmm. content, and plus in this film, I thought the pre-credits. Um, I like the intro. I like that you know turnaround shot um, in the pre-titles, and then also they hit you with the Fleming content like right after the main titles, pretty mm -hmm. much. And so again, for us old farts at the time, whoa, this was like you know this was clearly a, a change in direction, and um. You know, again, it may be a generational thing just, you know, for those of us who like welcomed a kind of return to Fleming content. Um, you know, it, again, specifically, it reminds me of the reaction to For Your Eyes Only. And we talked about this because some of us didn't really like it and or like it as much. But, you know, again, at the time, it seemed like a big deal. And at the time, this seemed like a big deal. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've I, again, I have pretty fond memories of it, and uh, it mm -hmm. seemed like Bond was back 
but in a way it was really, it was, we described, I described uh, License Kill as the last hurrah. In some ways, this is the last hurrah because this is the last one where Maybaum was a fully part of the scripting process because he had contributed to the plotting of License to Kill. But, he, you know, that was primarily written by Michael Wilson. This is, you know, Will, you know Maybaum's really working on this. It wasn't the last one for uh, Maurice Binder, but it's probably his last really good one because, you know, License to Kill titles kind of are kind of indifferent um so i don't know i and, and it's the last one for john barry doing the score so for those reasons i like it you know, i like it a fair amount i i i generally avoid like ranking the films one to 24 uh cause since we haven't seen <laughs> no time to die yet so I, I generally avoid doing a precise, you know, one to twenty-four ranking. But you know, I I have a lot of fond memories of it, so I'll leave it at that. Lisa, I will say that you know I am not the biggest Dalton fan um, out there. Maybe my commentary sort of flies in the face of that because I think I did a lot of defending of this film. Um, so I'm not the biggest Dalton fan. It's it's just not my cup of tea. Um, I noticed that in the credits, a whole bunch of women were just referred to as the girls. And so that's mm-hmm. certainly like, you know, I got a, you got a reaction out of me for that. I wrote that one down. Um, wasn't necessarily a fan of that, but that's fine. Um, but I will say that from my conversations with Bond fans, this is one of their favorite films, one of the top ranked films. And because of that, I have done my best as not just an individual person, but as a Bond scholar to be open to it and to try to see what is it about this film that is is appealing uh, to them. And it really has to do with the shift away from the Roger Moore era and shifting into a more serious representation and one that they feel is more of an accurate reflection, at least before the Craig era. And it's debatable which one is is more reflective of Fleming's vision, but they liked the seriousness and the tone that he was a a Bond who took the job uh, uh, quite seriously and he wasn't really into a lot of the quips and for me, I love the quips. Um, and as many of you have noticed, you know, Dalton really doesn't even like them himself when he has mm-hmm. to say it. Um, so for me, I come into this with an open mind, trying to sort of understand why other people seem to connect uh, with this film. Um, it's not necessarily my my cup of tea, but I do think it has a really great soundtrack. And I think maybe it was I if I was watching it for the watch along with the soundtrack, I probably would have enjoyed the film a lot more because I think that it's it's quite beautiful at parts. I think that it signals what we're supposed to feel um, about the film. And maybe some of our focus on narrative elements would just be maybe a bit diminished because we'd get more like audio cues about how we're supposed to be uh, rating and ranking what we're seeing on, on screen. Um, but overall, I always enjoy doing these podcasts, whether they're my preferred Bond films or not. Um, I, I enjoy watching them and learning and engaging with all of you through this process. Also real quick about just what it was like in, you know, being a Bond fan in real time. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, Roger Moore stepped down and then it's like, oh, it's going to be Pierce Brosnan. And it's not going to be Pierce Brosnan. That's going to be this Timothy Dalton guy. I will admit I knew next to nothing about Timothy Dalton. Uh, but there were two things that caught my attention one was it must have been they had a press conference in Vienna. I think they mm-hmm. had it 
they had started filming in Gibraltar. Then they did yeah. the press conference in Vienna. And I saw a photo uh, from that press conference or, or after that press conference with Timothy Dalton standing next to Miriam Diabo. It's like, oh, I, that guy does look kind of Bondian. You know? I'll have to like, so I sort of filed that away. And then like a few weeks before the movie came out, I was watching TV, switching around. And they happened to be showing the 1980 Flash Gordon film mm-hmm. with the, the score by by uh, Queen, and there's Timothy Dalton with a mustache. Like, oh, well, there he is. So, like, I watch. You know, it's like it was a movie I had no interest in at the time it came out, but I watched probably like the second half of the film, just trying to kind of gauge Dalton, like how bonding can he be, and just trying to. You know, I had not seen the uh, the Lion in Winter, which I saw sometime later. Um, but I yeah, think to, it, to your point, I think Dalton's character in Flash Gordon's a better proxy to Bond than Darby O'Gill and look, people was for Connery. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, uh, yes. At least he gets to run around, and shoot people, and call them bloody bastards and some right, stuff. Like right. But um, to your point, Bill, about Dalton taking over in uh, '87, um, Dalton's critique in in the in the short summaries you see online or in books after the fact, it's always like, well, American never American audiences didn't take to him. And I call bullshit on that because the box office for this was identical in the US to a view to a kill. The same number of people went to see it and they made the same amount of money. Hmm. And if you think that the bulk of the Connery fans in the States who didn't like Roger, you know, who refused to even buy the friggin' VHS when it came out, probably went to see this and maybe he lost some of the Roger audience because it was more serious. But my point is it was a trade, an equal trade that did the same amount at the box office to, so to say he wasn't success in the U S I think is just based upon the disappointment of license to kill, which was I, not Dalton's fault. And this, the film was badly timed, badly marketed and all the rest of it. So well, just daylight uh, gets tarnished with a little bit of that. I think unfairly. Well, I actually have a tab up from uh, Box Office Mojo because I had the feeling this was going to come up. So, The Living Daylights, U.S. box office, was roughly 51.2 million. Let's see if I can find. A View to a Kill was uh, 50.3 million. So, right. a little better. Um, it was, you know, License to Kill was the fall off. And, yeah. Uh, uh, but I, I don't think License to Kill's fall off was. Because it's of fairly Dalton attributed se, to, no. to say Dalton wasn't accepted by U.S. audiences, which if you just Google that, it's everywhere as the conclusion, and I think it's a false narrative. Except for maybe people like your wife who didn't like his fingers. But <laughs> <laughs> for all we know, there was half of the U.S. population didn't like his fingers. But <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. But as a as a debut outing, it's I think different to all of the other Bonds debut outings in its tone scale. Yeah, he's not in chunks of the film, as we no, pointed and, out. And, and like I said about the uh, the pre-titles, um, you know, you're aware Bond's there throughout. And then we finally see him. That like I thought that was a great when we finally see his face. I did think that was a great uh, mm-hmm. a great reveal. Even though I mean, I mean by this time it's pretty well established. You know, first Bond. When it's your first Bond. They don't show your face right away. It's we, we know that, but. Like I said, what sold me on him was actually the sequence after the titles, the the most Fleming, the part that had the most Fleming content. And the line about, oh, they'll make strawberry jam out of him or whatever the the exact line was. Um, 
yeah, I mean, he, he struck me as like, I mean, I was sold from that point on. Um, is it the, is it the best bond? No, but, uh, and we talked about some of the narrative problems, but, uh, I thought it was a great debut and it's really too bad. He didn't, uh, you know, it's, it's too bad. We didn't get a third one. Definitely. Right. And the, the other disadvantage he had was they didn't know he was going to play Bond when they were finishing the script, right? Right. Oh, yeah. So he literally was on another production and flew back to the UK on the Sunday and started shooting on the Monday. Right. Specifically, it was a movie called Brenda Starr based on the right. comic strip. and uh, he Which is why we didn't get the reveal that. press conference that we normally get. So right. to be literally parachuted in at the last minute, um, I think he did a bang-up job. Yeah. 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 I think I think that's very fair to say. Um, and I, I think also people kind of forget a little bit that um, you know Dalton Dalton had his own um, definite ideas about what he wanted Bond to be or his Bond to be, um, and and you know lent very heavily into kind of uh, taking it in that direction. So uh, with this film in particular, you've kind of got the. Uh, the writers and the producers kind of feeling like they're, they're going to continue to make one kind of a, a film series with their, with their leading man sort of saying that he wanted something else. So you're, you're ultimately going to get a, a, a bit of a, a, a mishmash of uh, disparate right. sort of tones and styles. Um, but really, um, you know, Dalton was the first person to kind of uh, after, you know, having, having had Connery being, quite close to the um to the to the uh, novels um he's the first person who said he really wanted to kind of bring that back i guess um, and that did change things he's the only one of the actors to have well have claimed at least to have read all of the flemings mm-hmm. isn't he uh mm. Con- connery admitted later he only read two or three of them um, yeah uh, but i think yeah i think dalton said if he hadn't read all of them he read a lot of them and he seemed, and also he seemed more conversant about the the novels. Um, he talks Roger a lot about Moore apparently had read Goldfinger um, because he doesn't cite the title, but what he describes, yeah, this had to be taken from Goldfinger. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think what, however many he read, I think he probably read more than a lot of the actors did. Um, I think Craig was reported to have thrown his copy of Casino Royale into a bin. Right. Um, some, On the I, tube, I think right? he was. Uh, yeah, I think he was spotted just sort of throwing it away. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and I was also going to say that uh, on his second outing with License to Kill, um, there was definite tension between um, uh, Dalton and John Glenn. Yeah. Um, and probably you know, it would have been interesting to see Dalton handled by another director, mm-hmm. depending on what director that was for a third outing that was never made, which is probably we we've discussed this before is probably like worthy of a podcast unto its own, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. In no sense going over that material now. Um, I, I don't, I just going back to my thing about it, it was, I don't think living daylights is really judged as a first bond outing. Hmm. Cause it yeah. feels like a middle of a, somebody's tenure kind of movie. Yeah. I agree with that. Isn't it? So yeah, and it doesn't stand out like this is the new Bond, mm. you know, which really all, true, the others, all, all the others make this big to-do about, you know, in the way it's structured and introduced and the rest of it. Mm. 
So maybe maybe part of that was because they they kind of downplayed it because they'd announced Brosnan as the new Bond. Well, they hadn't exactly like, announced Brosnan because remember, like there was that Today Show interview where uh, Albert R. Broccoli and Michael Wilson. No, no, no. We we talked to Pierce, but no, no, no. Timothy was our first choice all right. along. And can we just hmm. clear that up? Bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like when you watch it today, it's like oh, it's so yeah. uncomfortable to watch. They they forgot to burn the negatives of the photos of Brosnan and John Glenn on the set of The Living Daylights. Take one act, one scene. And one. Brosnan <laughs> signing his contract with Broccoli on one side and Wilson right. on the other. It's you know all sorts of things. It's interesting because when I asked on Twitter about like a Bond swap, if you could swap out or swap actors for for a lot of the roles, one of the most common responses I got was Dalton should have played Bond in A View to a Kill. And that seems Mm -hmm. to be on like a lot of people's radar. And I think, you know, the way that we remember or misremember or the way that memory works when we look back on something, uh, I think that's that maybe the Brosnan element might get overlooked and people in their mind's eye just sort of might think or want that Dalton should have been in A View to a Kill. And so maybe that's why there's sort of that middle of the middle feel about this, this type of film. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so it might have to do with just with, with our desires and the way that we're remembering and situating them, but we really do not talk about the living daylights as Dalton's first film, the same way that we do like GoldenEye, Pierce Brosnan, you know, Bond, 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 Bond. Um, We don't really have that same type of narrative when it comes to Dalton. And I find that interesting given the strong fandom that is out there on, on Dalton's Bond. Well, and, and part of the reason is of course with uh, GoldenEye, um, you know, it was coming off that six year hiatus. And so it's like, yeah, it's a new bond because we haven't had a bond in six years. So they really had to like work that. <laughs> As we call it today, normal business. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whereupon with the living daylights, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like, well, we had a little bit of delay, but you know, we're still sticking with that every other year schedule. So. Well, oh, there, there is backstory to that guy. with them, Jim's agreement and everything that they had to keep on that two-year sausage machine cycle. But if you think about it, they retired a bond, hired a new one, that didn't work out, got another one, mounted a film, and did it in two years. Yeah, mm-hmm. with only the, and, and now with only like maybe a month or two of delay. Right. Um, yeah, because this came out on well in the U.S. It came out on July 31st, so it was toward the end of the summer. But uh, it's not that much of a delay. <laughs> compared to a you know a view to a kill which was like in uh, late may of 85 so right all right so for next week uh, what i thought we'd do is there's five films that have never been nominated for a vote mm. so rather than have a view to kill versus goldfinger versus something else that's going to beat it again <laughs> um, <laughs> well we'll pick from the five movies that haven't been selected so can that I go way first? we're going to get a fresh vote, Bill. You can, you can go first. Yeah. Live and let die. <sighs> okay. Which, guarantees, which guarantees it won't get picked, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> These are some strong candidates in this one. So, Ben, do you want to shoot for one? Yeah. Um, I, I am going to go with The Spy Who Loved Me. Mm. It's got submarines. It's got jaws it's got all sorts of fun stuff in there and i think people people will dig it so let's do that it's got the biggest uh, tag team of writers that worked on a bond film i think that's like right. a dozen at one point yeah. or another well i 
um, I, I think I'll go for a Craig one. We've got Casino Royale and Skyfall. Uh, I'm going to go for Skyfall out of those two. Skyfall. All right. Yeah. All right. So I have to choose between, this is my inaugural vote, and I have to choose between Majesties and Casino. Mm-hmm. So that's usually numero uno versus number two, right? And, or mm-hmm. vice versa in most people's lists. So yep. both are kind of equally long. I'm, I'm going to go for Majesties. Mm. See if Not I can win. Pick. That's going to be Not the winner. Pick. Yeah, I don't it know. will be. I put money on it. Oh, gosh, <laughs> right. yeah, I think that one's going to win for sure. Yeah. It'll, it'll be the second time that James and I have seen Majesties together. That's right. <laughs> In real time. In real time. Exactly. All right. So that's the vote for next week. And uh, see you all then. Thanks very much, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Take care. See ya. All right. Hold on tight now. Heads down, down to the wire. Set your hopes up way too high. Living's in the way we die. Comes the morning and the headlights fade away. Hundred thousand changes, everything's the same. So tasty, you'll wish you'd tried them years ago.